Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com I want to thank Linda Wertheimer for filling in for me yesterday so I could attend funeral services for my friend, the PBS journalist Gwen Eiffel, who died on Monday at the age of 61. Even now, almost a week later, it's hard to believe she's gone, as she's been a part of most of the significant personal and professional events of my life. We first met when we both covered the Maryland State Legislature in the mid-1980s. She was working for the Baltimore Evening Sun and I for the Washington Post. This may be hard to believe now, since she's long since become one of the country's most prominent broadcast journalists, but back then, people used to confuse us constantly. People from Baltimore used to come up to me and whisper some juicy tidbit of Baltimore political gossip into my ear, and I had no idea what they were talking about. People from the delegations I covered would do the same to her. Finally, she came up to me and said, if people are going to keep doing this, we should be friends. I then had the bright idea of getting name tags for us. Mine said, my name is not Gwen Eiffel. And hers said, my name is not Michelle McQueen, which was my byline then. Every now and again, we would put our name tags on just for the fun of watching people look from one to the other and laugh or turn red. Of course, after she became a superstar and random people would compliment me for something she did, I would just smile and say, why, thank you. When I was at her home earlier this year for what would tragically turn out to be the last of her legendary annual New Year's Day parties, Gwen showed me she had found her old name tag. I was chagrined that I had lost mine, but not surprised that she had kept hers. Those offering tributes to Gwen this week kept coming back to something our colleague and friend Michelle Norris captured best at the funeral. She said to have as many friends as Gwen had was not just a gift, but a skill. Her parties kept getting bigger because her circle kept getting bigger. Even as she became one of the most prominent people in our field, former interns, former colleagues, people who maybe weren't at the top of the A-list anymore still had a place on her list, right along with the bold-faced names you'd expect to see at her table, along with everybody's kids. 
Well, I knew her as a friend. The rest of the world got to know her too. Not only that megawatt smile, but most importantly, her remarkable professionalism, her penchant for asking the kinds of questions that still aren't asked often enough. About the HIV/AIDS crisis in some parts of Black America back in 2004, or the quiet desperation of some parts of White America in 2016, or why former shock jock Don Imus was able to get away with racially insulting her and so many others over the years. People may forget this now, but Gwen never spoke publicly about this until Imus attacked the Rutgers University women's basketball team. When she did, her elegantly devastating New York Times op-ed was likely the finger on the scale that tipped him off the air. And then she went back to doing her work and rarely spoke of it again. Because she was a seeker and speaker of truth, I think it's important to speak the truth about Gwen. She knew she was a role model for reasons that she controlled, such as her deep reporting and outstanding work ethic. And reasons she did not, such as being a dark-skinned, not skinny woman in a country and profession that have never historically valued either of those things, and perhaps still don't. She was ambitious and competitive. She made the most of her opportunities and was grateful, but not awed. She was realistic about what she was up against as the first black woman to do many things in our field, to host a national political talk show, for example. But she never played the victim. She was not perfect. Which is an important part of her story too, because to this day, so many girls and women and people of color think they have to be perfect or have to satisfy everybody else's idea of perfection in order to earn respect. She satisfied her own idea of who she was supposed to be. In being so good at being herself, I hope she created more room for other people to be whoever they're supposed to be. The world needs that more than ever. We are joined now by some who knew Gwen well. Charlene Hunter-Galt, a colleague and friend of Gwen's, and a longtime member of our NewsHour family. John Dickerson of CBS News, also a regular panelist and occasional host for Washington Week. Kevin Merida, a longtime colleague and now with the website ESPN's Undefeated. And Amy Walter, also of our NewsHour and Washington Week families. She's with the Cook. Political report. This is a tough night for all of us.、Um, I know you each are, have so much you want to say about Gwen. I'm going to start with you, Kevin Merida, because I think you've known Gwen the longest in this group. Tell us about meeting her. Well, it, it was incredible. I was a I was editor of a student publication at Boston University, a black student newspaper, and we did a piece on Gwen because here she was, this hotshot journalist. Uh, right out of college, who got hired by the Boston Herald American, and for many young black journalists or aspiring black journalists, we didn't know many people like Gwen, and so she felt a little bit like a unicorn then, and <laughs> and so we became friends after that.、Uh, but that was my first introduction to her.、Uh, she was a wonderful friend, obviously, and inspired many of us、uh, throughout our careers. John Dickerson, you met Gwen on the campaign trail, covering politics,、uh, and then you became friends. Yeah, I, I mean, I, all I've been thinking about today is her smile.、Uh, <laughs> you could read by the light of Gwen's <laughs> smile, and you know, it felt sort of like it greeted you before she did. And she was a tough, great journalist. When we were in the company of other journalists, her question was always the one that just kind of. Cut through the fog, and sometimes was a little impolitic. But the thing I'll remember first、uh, is just what a great and warm person she was, and how whatever mood you were in before you were with Gwen, you left it、uh, with joy 
in your heart. And in Washington, there is not a lot of that. <laughs> That's for sure. Charlene Hunter-Galt, uh, you were obviously a regular right here on the NewsHour for many, many years. And you've known Gwen for a long time. I've known Gwen for a long time, but I had left to go to Africa to live and work by the time Gwen got to the news hour. And what's so amazing is that, you know, she's of a generation younger than mine, but I, as an older generation journalist, look, used to look back on Gwen for inspiration because, as everybody has just said, I mean, she knew how to cut through the you-know-what, and yet she maintained such an air of professionalism. She didn't put people off. She welcomed them into her space. But at the same time, when she got to the news hour, she was already doing what we believed in, and that was to present news that could be used by people so that if they got good information, they would make the right decisions about how to live as a good citizen in a democratic nation. Charlene Hunter-Galt, talk a little bit about what she meant to journalists of color, to people of color. I would be with her um, walking down the street or in a restaurant or at an airport, and I would see the immediate connection that she had uh, with all people, but there was, of course because she had fans across all the spectrums. But there was a connection for her in the, in the African-American community that was really, it was really remarkable. Well, absolutely. And I remember when I um, spoke at the National Press Club when she was honored there with their highest award, I, I talked about how she reminded me a little bit of Viola Davis, because when she went through, there weren't a whole lot of women even then uh, when, when she began to achieve national uh, recognition and status. And, and she would look across that line, like Viola Davis said, and, and reach out uh, to bring others in. So she inspired those she met, but she also inspired those just by her appearance and by her her competence and her extraordinary capacity to do all the things that you've heard um, all of her colleagues, old and new, talk about. The other thing about Gwen was they say that she could give you a look, and that was true, <laughs> but she was not full of herself. I mean, we no, the no. last time, and I'm so glad I had this moment with her uh, on Martha's Vineyard this past summer with Michelle Norris, the NPR correspondent, the three of us were at dinner and she just sat back and let us yammer and talk and chat and we would say something and she'd say oh i didn't know that and she'd pick up a pen and start writing it down to remind herself to look at that and we were talking about something else and she went right on her phone and said no that's not right it was such and such and such a thing but she was she was humble even as she presented this very strong and powerful person. So I think that what young African-American people saw in her was what they could be. And uh, it was a wonderful, in I could see what I could be, <laughs> even being older than she. So I'm just saying that she appealed to all generations in the most wonderful way. Can I just say one final thing? 15 seconds. And I sure. hope I hope I don't cry, but um, I saw her on the air one night and she looked so amazing. And at 10 o'clock at night, I couldn't help but write to her. And that's when she wrote me back and told me how what she had been going through. And, and I think that's another thing that we should absolutely think so highly of her because she worked through all of her illness uh, without letting on to anyone about what was going on. The news hour would say she's away and everybody thought she was away working and she was suffering mightily and she bore it with such grace. 
Thank you, Charlene. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, November 24th, 2016. So I have been told, uh, again, our condolences to the family, colleagues, friends, uh, admirers, uh, Gwen Eiffel, a uh, black journalist. Uh, she passed away last week age of 61, which is a disgrace, another illustration of the system of white supremacy to have black people passing away uh, at that age. Total disgrace, uh, and those are the consequences of racism, white supremacy. I know it is Thanksgiving, so they tell me. Uh, we do not take holidays. The system of white supremacy doesn't take a day off. Uh, if anything, sometimes it intensifies on these horror days, as Dr. Cambon calls them. So we are doing what we generally do on the plantation on Thursdays. Dial in. The number is 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. The number again is 641-715-3640. Four zero. The code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. If you are in line for any Black Friday sales to get a new a new car, a new Wii, or whatever else uh, they are offering, I'd like that on the record. If you are camped out, and I know that sort of thing is happening. Uh, across the country, across the world, uh, in response to horror days that uh, are a month away. But just put that on the record as well. I will uh, encourage, since it is quote-unquote Thanksgiving, and a lot of people did not have to go to the plantation today, if you are listening to the program and you are with relatives, other black people, other victims of racism, share. Uh, See if you don't have to, you know, twist anyone's arm, as they say, but Uh, See if you can get some other folks to listen in on workplace racism. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what type of job they have. If they make, you know, $10 an hour, uh, if they make, you know, $100,000 a month, uh, I wouldn't care. Racism, white supremacy is going to be a problem for you. Uh, If the system of white supremacy exists, which I submit it does, Uh, I will say state as I generally do. uh, We do not need spectators with regards to counter racism. Uh, I think if you are a black person, if you are anywhere in the spectrum of your career, if you're just starting out, if you've been working for a while, I submit racism has been a problem for you in some capacity, whether even if it's indirectly not white, if it's, you know, conflict with other non-white people on the job. Uh, however it comes up, if you have a black supervisor, I know we hear about that a lot as well. Uh, all of that is the result of the imbalance, the injustice, the conflict and turmoil that is mandatory in a system of white supremacy. So dial in. I've stated consistently as well. It's very helpful uh, for victims of racism who are younger. They don't have an extensive work history, so uh, they get to hear the types of things that can happen, uh, steps that they can uh, take to protect themselves. Uh, And then things to say, what not to say, things to do, what not to do 
uh, when racism becomes a problem for them on the job. So I think it's great. You can always reflect on your work history to previous times when you maybe were a little bit more confused about racism and had some problems on the job. And so you can share what happened. And so then you can kind of contrast it to what you would do now, knowing what you do about racism, white supremacy. I always think that that's uh, helpful and that is always uh, welcome and encouraged. Uh, with that also, you can always email untiljustice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Uh, if you're not in a position where you can speak, if uh, things have gotten rowdy, <laughs> if, if some alcohol or spirits, quote unquote, have been passed around and it's a little loud, a little raucous, uh, you can email your question in and we will read it on air. We can keep it anonymous uh, if you would like and uh, get listeners uh, thoughts and or observations until justice at gmail dot com. If you want to email uh, with that, a couple folks uh, wrote in commentary. Uh, we will share. I just want to say even before I get to that, Gwen Eiffel. Tremendous respect that I have for Gwen Eiffel, and I would submit that workplace racism contributed to her not being here, uh, her dying again from cancer at the age of 61. I had never heard of any conflict between she and Don Imus. Don Imus, if folks remember, was the race soldier uh, who was uh, on talk radio, and he uh, terrorized verbally the black females of the Rutgers basketball team. I think this was back... Uh, in the mid 2000s, like 2007, 2006, somewhere in there. Anyway, uh, big kerfuffle. He got a lot of money. He's still on television. I see him on Fox on television doing interviews and what have you. But he had also racially terrorized Gwen Eiffel. She wrote about it in the report that was mentioned uh, in the audio segment at the beginning. I so appreciate Michelle Martin uh, at NPR, Power of Black Journalists. Uh, but the report, I've just posted it on my Facebook page, is Trash Talk Radio. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is written by Gwen Eiffel herself from uh, April of 2007. So she talks about uh, exactly, you can hear it directly from her, what, uh, what Don Imus did. So I'll read. She says... Uh, the series of apologies, Mr. Imus, who was suspended yesterday by both NBC News and CBS Radio for his remarks, have failed another test. The sincerity seems forced and suspect because he's done some version of this several times before. I know because he apparently did it to me. I was covering the White House for this newspaper in 1993 when Mr. Imus's producer began calling to invite me on his radio program. I didn't return his calls. I had my hands plentiful covering Bill Clinton. Soon enough, the phone calls stopped. Then quizzical colleagues began asking me why Don Imus seemed to have a problem with me. Put a tab on that. I had no idea what they were talking about because I never listened to the program. It was not until five years later when Mr. Imus and I were both working under the NBC News umbrella. His show was being simulcast on MSNBC. I was a Capitol Hill correspondent for the network. That I discovered why people were asking those questions. It took Lars Eric Nelson, a columnist for the New York Daily News, to finally explain what no one else had wanted to repeat. Isn't the Times wonderful, Mr. Nelson quoted Mr. Imus as saying on the radio, it lets the cleaning lady cover the White House. I will stop there. Uh, she goes on, and 
I'll give one more paragraph. She says, it is about the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The game had to be the biggest moment of their lives and the outcome the biggest disappointment. They are not old enough or established enough to have built up the sort of carpus many women I know, black women in particular, developed to guard themselves against casual insult. I say these are acts of white terrorism. And again, I submit as strongly as I can what she calls these casual insults. I say this is a contributor to why you have black people dying at age 61. That is also a reason why we have this program, workplace racism, regardless of what they say on the calendar. Now, people emailed in as well. Uh, Some of the folks, uh, some of the things that people wanted to share. Uh, Let's see. We had uh, one person somehow. My screen moved. I had my notes all ready to roll and then they uh, then they moved on me. If I have to take too long, I'll read this one a little later. But man, that is not cool at all. Uh, Okay. Well, I will wait on that one because it's going to take me a little bit of time to uh, put my hand on it again. Um, Oh, wait a minute. Do I have it? Yes, I have it. Little perseverance. Okay. So today I'm in the office alone, which I intended to take full advantage of accomplishing some of my smaller goals. One of the security officers, non-white male, here is very knowledgeable about electronics and was kind enough to walk me through setting up uh, video information, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, today is the only day to get a lot of real work done. So around 10.30 a.m., he comes down to the office and starts teaching me about the equipment and how to use it to create video that is usable. This white woman walks down the hallways toward the office, which is right next to our fitness center. She goes into the gym and comes out about 10 minutes later and requests entry into the office. I already know that she is just being nosy and doesn't want anything in particular. She leans over my desk to see all of what we are doing, but I am faster than she is and made everything kosher before she got it. She leans over to say that she really likes the fitness center locker rooms and that she was able to do her hair. I maintain eye contact with her and just stare at her blankly to let her fill the space. She then tells me she wanted to compliment me on it. Her response to this white woman, race soldier, is, I will let the property managers know. The white woman says, I do have one request. Since you all have everything else, some hairspray would be nice. The black female, she responds, I will let the property managers know. White woman comes again. Also, the restroom plug on our floors isn't working. Non-white victim responds, Uh, swivels in chair to face computer and begins typing an email I will let the engineers know white woman says okay thank you victim responds okay have a good one she was being outrageously nosy because she saw the non-white male and I behind the desk she wanted to see what we were doing excellent note taking Uh, this is something that we have uh, pointed out before on the program uh, in a variety of means in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, non-white people 
being under surveillance. I got distracted for a minute because I got an email from last year. She said uh, that we're not being heard on TuneIn. I'll double check it, but it looks like we should be broadcasting. So I'll double check uh, for a second and make sure that the audio is uh, working correctly there. Uh, But just with uh, what we heard, and this was written from 1842, you're under surveillance worldwide, even if they don't call it stop and frisk. Uh, Whites, they're going to be watching every little thing we've talked about. If you take a book, uh, to work. They're going to be looking. What are you reading? What is that piece of newspaper? How many rolls of toilet paper did you buy? I mean, that's what surveillance is. Everything about you. Uh, the whites are not ignorant. They keep close eye on their niggers, particularly when we are on the plantation at work. Uh, but great observations and great job being mindful of that. Uh, so just, you know, you can take steps uh, where you can boom. Clear your desktop, uh, the screen area, so people that are walking by, you can put screensavers, uh, password on your screen, that sort of thing, just so that people can't be nosing through. I've always said don't leave things in your desk area, that sort of thing. Uh, even be mindful about the sites that you go on while you are using you know, any of the uh, IT equipment in your work environment. Uh, next note, a uh, person wrote in, and this person actually wrote in uh, from the UK. I've said I, I, as of yet I have not uh, devised a way to include our international listeners in our conversations on workplace racism, um, but I will see if I can figure out a way to do so. Uh, so this person wrote in last week. Uh, they, were the, they were the one that shared specifically about uh, getting personal packages to work another aspect and that ended up being under surveillance and what are all these packages and snooping and asking questions about that and we talked about this last week so this person wrote in specifically from the UK they were saying that they had the package issue I think the the white person who did the mail I think they said specifically it was something to the effect of I don't want to see you again until Christmas and our writer this is a black female she said she didn't really understand uh, that statement at first and so she wrote it out we talked about it last week and so this is her updated response so she says Uh, Thank you for reading my email on the Workplace Racism Program. Uh, Before I comment on how the U.S. elections have been received over here in the U.K., I just want to comment on the caller's input into my situation. Also, I'm a female. Uh, Raza's contribution was profound. For the last year, I've been amazed by the level of doublespeak in the office and will write in about this for the next week's program. Someone emailed in a comment stating that having packages delivered to the workplace is a trap. I'm intrigued by what was meant by this and would be grateful if the listener could provide more insight for next week's program. I also really appreciate Thomas's insight. The only controversial item I've had delivered is the 40 hours and an unwritten rule book by Kim Williams. She was a guest on the program before. Uh, But I appreciate his point that people are generally nosy. The fact that post rooms are equipped to allow people to indulge their curiosity didn't occur to me before. Thomas last week said they have equipment so they can look in your package without or they can uh, inspect your package without you detecting that it has been tampered with or investigated. Um, Having packages, not general post, delivered to the post office becomes a necessity, and as a result, I broke one of my own codes. I'm going to correct this. In terms of the U.S. elections, much like your U.S. callers, listening to your program definitely prepared me for a Trump victory, although I was surprised when I woke up to find he was actually elected, mainly because of the audio of him disrespecting women the way he did. I laughed when I heard the news coverage, but if I had not listened to the cows, I think I would have been fearful. Not because Hillary was a better candidate, but because of what the outcome signals about racists being more overt with their views, an increase in racist and violent incidents, how a Trump government 
will implement their policies and how the rest of the world will respond. We've already had Brexit, and I do see a connection, although panelists on various news programs over here are claiming there is none. I work in a political environment, so there's no avoiding political discussions, although topics such as racism are only dealt with on a surface level, i.e. an acknowledgement that racism exists somewhere out there. Everything else is deemed unconscious bias. I got into the office slightly late the morning after the election, so I missed the debate that had taken place. I don't think we had received the full analysis on how people voted by then, so I don't believe there was a discussion about the numbers of white women who voted for Trump. It still hasn't come up as a topic for discussion, at least not around me. I had one colleague make a beeline for me to discuss the election. He's always prying, but I was surprised at how much of my time he wanted to take up discussing the matter. Of course, he was shocked by America's decision. I kept as much of my input to analysis of the process and the fact that polls were so wrong, which in itself impressed him. He likes to test my level of intelligence on a regular basis. Towards the end of the discussion, he brought up America's impending race war. I think this was what he wanted to discuss from the start and to get my views on it. He is Jewish, dun, 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 which may have had something to do with his need to talk about the outcome of the election for so long. Luckily, he was interrupted by my manager, so that brought an end to the conversation. I was also acutely aware of the pen drop silence when we were speaking. A few other people around the office commented, most are professing to be horrified or fearful, and a few have expressed concern about the level of racial tension in America. Hmm. End of transmission. That is uh, fascinating uh, for many reasons. Uh, I will leave that for listeners uh, to share your thoughts uh, and or input about what is happening in this person's uh, work environment. I will say that that sort of thing, we talked about that before, whites liking to come and pry on racial matters. Uh, Something comes up to see what you think or what you're going to say or to get you upset or to see how much you know so that they can put that in their folder. Uh, Track, I have nothing to say. I don't follow it. I just watch sports. Or even some people, they've said that they just do sports. I don't pay attention to any of that, man. We had a uh, badminton tournament last night, and man, it was something special. Now, do you remember that project we're supposed to be working on? Already have your code about how you're going to deflect that sort of thing, whatever you're going to say, and stick to it. Our our homie in the DMV area, 1842, uh, what is your opinion? I don't discuss politics on the job. But wait a minute, we can, you know, I don't discuss politics on the job. Well, wait a minute, we could talk. What did you think? Oh, President Obama, well, I think I'll, I'll talk to you later. We'll see you at lunch. Take care. Have your code for how you're going to diffuse that situation quickly, effectively, and you can do it consistently every single time. Uh, Folks that have commentary they would like to share, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, Folks who dialed in with the hand up, line should be open. Feel free to chime in. Good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Good evening, one and all. Good evening, Gus. It's been a minute. I do keep up with the show. Just listen to the archives. Um, I wanted to comment on the journalist Gwen Eiffel because um, I had met her a number of years ago. I was introduced to her by a mentor of mine, Jonathan Hicks, who uh, worked at the New York Times for a number of years as a reporter, political columnist. And he introduced me to her as someone I should know as a writer. He introduced me to her maybe about, say, about 10 years ago. So I would oftentimes see her at uh, events throughout New York for black journalists and things. And she was a absolutely outstanding woman, um, very generous with her time and sharing her uh, profound insights on being part of covering the news behind the scenes and what it was really like being one of a few in predominantly white workplace settings. So I really felt privileged to benefit from hearing a lot of the things that she shared with me, as well as Jonathan Hicks who shared with me, he also uh, passed away from uh, cancer, pancreatic cancer, um, back in November of 2014. And, um, you know, I'm just thankful for an opportunity to have gotten to know her. Now, my observation is for folks moving forward, those folks who might be going into the office tomorrow, and... Um, discussing uh, with coworkers one of the biggest pastimes on this so-called holiday of Thanksgiving, which is uh, partaking in watching sports. I thought it was rather ironic that today, but it was by no means a coincidence that today's game was between the Dallas Cowboys, who are second only probably to the New England Patriots as probably the most American, if you will, team in the NFL, and they were competing against the Washington Redskins. So the symbolism of it all was rather profound to see family, friends, and people I care about gathered standing around television sets rooting for the Cowboys to pummel the uh, Redskins on a day which is Thanksgiving, particularly considering that in the news cycle, we have uh, things going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is being underreported, and most folks or few folks are discussing that or would have been discussing that with family and friends today gathering. They spent more of that time discussing the Dallas Cowboys being the Redskins. So now folks are going to head into the office today, I mean tomorrow, and um, I think that today's festivities and activities are just going to present so many opportunities for suspected and confirmed racists to practice racism in the workplace tomorrow. They kind of get a jolt of joy about asking you what did you do with your family on so-called holidays because they like to hear about how 
unproductive. Your time was spent, misspent. So it's going to give them a bit of joy to hear that a lot of uh, non-white folks got together on a so-called holiday and stood around a television set and rooted for the Dallas Cowboys to defeat the Washington Redskins rather than discuss uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline or to discuss how the turnout of the so-called recent election is going to impact our individual and collective lives as family members. So I would encourage folks in the days moving forward and more specifically tomorrow to refrain as best possible in having any discussion about today's sports presentation because it is going to open a door for racism and white supremacy. That's my comment. Appreciate that, Estad. I know we have quite a few listeners who they have made that a staple part of their workplace code that they do. I don't talk about sports either on the job. <laughs> talk about politics, and I and to make that known, I'm not into sports. I don't care about sports. I'm not engaging in any of that uh, for some of the exact uh, reasons that you have uh, illustrated. Uh, oh, and yes, sir. I just wanted to get in really quick. Uh, there was a problem. Lashes was correct. Thank you kindly, Lashes. Uh, even though she did think Mitt Romney was going to win that uh, 2012 presidential election. But uh, Lashes saved the day. The tune-in feed was not working, so if anyone tried to uh, listen via tune-in or a Black Talk radio, uh, you were having difficulties, it has been corrected. So if you just refresh the page, it should work. If you have trouble, let me know, but I was able to verify myself, so it's working. Just double-check. Thank you, Lashes. Thomas, Thomas in New York, did you have commentary, sir? Yes, sir. Good evening, um, Gus. Good evening, S. Dot. was right on point, man, because um, I, I that worked, you know, overnight. So I came in, I had to go to sleep. But uh, when I woke up, I saw that the Redskins and the Cowboys was, and I said, oh, man, you know, this, this, they're going to be um, talking about this at work tomorrow and the irony of it all with everything that's happened in North Dakota, um, and which I kept mentioning at work because anyone who asked me, hey, what you doing for Thanksgiving? I do not celebrate slaughter of the Indian this day. You know, that ends all that conversation. They usually don't have nothing to say. They face over. And they walk away. Um, because that's what it is. And uh, we've made it into a holiday. Only under system of racism, white supremacy cannot exist. Uh, as I told you last week, uh, the white female suspected racist adults. The racist white female um, Trump supporter, she's leaving. Well, her last day was Wednesday, and um, the two people that interviewed for the position were both black females, uh, which I found to be very interesting. And um, one of them, um, and, and this is a you know a tidbit, man. If you're going to um, anything, but you know work work related, um, be on time, but especially if it's um, an interview. Now she got to some type of traffic issue. Um, she was um, coming up the elevator, and um, right before her elevator opened, the HR guy, you know, came out the elevator, and he, um, uh, in fact, I apologize, they were on the same elevator, and um, I think he realized who she was. When he got off the elevator, he came through the, you know, um, I buzzed him in, and he came through the glass door, 
and he was giving me the, you know, the hands across the neck, like, you know, real quick, like, you know, cut it. So I, you know, I saw the black female, you know, standing at the door waiting for me to let her enter. So I realized what he was saying, but I played dumb. Like, I didn't know. So she came in, and she's, I'm here to meet with this guy. And, um, you know, I, I called him anyway. Like, I didn't know what he was um, doing because I understood what he was trying to say, you know. And, I like, you're going to put me on the spot as the receptionist to tell this lady what she's not, he's not here, go back home. I mean, what? so either way, he had to meet with her, and I don't think he was too happy. That was the shortest interview I ever saw. And, um, you know, she was explaining to me while she was standing there that um, she, you know, got um, into some training, you know, what happens sometimes. But uh, I would say, you know, if you go on an interview, always try to prepare ahead for that because, um, you know, that messed up, you know. Um, either way, uh, I was shocked that they hired this other black female. When I came in, I saw the white lady training her. So uh, she trained her one day in the um, New York office and then, you know, Tuesday in the New Jersey office. So Wednesday was her last day, so she was training her in the New York office again. So when the black lady um, went out on a bathroom break and when she came back in, I buzzed her in. I tried to pull her to the side and um, say, listen, make sure you're being trained properly. Make sure you have a good grip on everything. Um, and I was going to, you know, kind of hint to her, like, you know, that person is a little suspect. But um, she was very, like, uh, like she didn't want to hear it. You know, like she gave me a lot like, you know, you know, like I, I just uh, said, I I will never say anything to her again about it. I let her learn on her own, but um, as you know, that that white female is not going to do a good job training her. Uh, her attitude is, you know, they screwed me over for all this time. They didn't hire me, and so I mean, she kind of already alluded to, like, you know, really, I mean, I'm giving them this time just out of a courtesy. I, I should just walk away, and I could care less about the next couple. So. I just wanted to make sure that that black lady had a good grip on everything, but she didn't seem too engaging. So I, I, I'll leave that alone from experience. Hey, I, I already know. So let her learn on her own. And uh, I'm in my line. Thank you, Gus. Wow. That is, uh, I think, black self-respect, at least making the effort to reach out to try to help another victim uh, as best you can on the job. Some things that they should, you know, be mindful about. This is uh, a ra- you didn't call a race soldier, but uh, you know, you got someone that you should at least be cautious uh, and make sure that you understand everything in the training process. Try to help her out if she's not receptive. Oh well, she can, as you said, she can uh, learn on her own. But I think that's great to at least make an attempt. I know uh, certainly everybody doesn't uh, endorse, you know, trying to make that effort on the job. I can I can understand the logic behind that as well. Uh, other folks who dialed in who have a hand up, uh, if you had questions for what you've heard thus far, or if you have your own commentary, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Gus. Um, greetings to you and to um, Thomas in New York, um, to S. Dot and all the other calls and listeners. I think um, I want to comment first on uh, what uh, S. Dot presented, because I think it was really brilliant and absolutely factual. Um, 
I told people on my job, you know, I said, well, I'll spend time with my family, but I said, I don't do Thanksgiving. I'm of indigenous descent myself. And as a person of indigenous descent, there's no way I'm going to celebrate the massacre of my ancestors. So you're not going to get that out of me. And outside of that, um, I don't discuss anything of, the, of that nature with them either because they do get off on that type of stuff um, in regards to just the, the like, like Esther was saying, just the, the idle, nonsensical things that we occupy our time with. Um, because, you know, just being victims of white supremacy, some of us just don't want to deal with, with the reality of what white, white supremacy actually means. And that's one of the ways that we, you know, we, we do it is to watch sports and, you know, pass the time drinking and doing that kind of stuff. So absolutely. I agree completely with that. Um, my update on what's happening at my job. Uh, well, interesting. Uh, they miraculously just switched our, um, our pay schedule, we were getting paid twice a month on the 15th and the 30th or 31st of the month, depending on which day the last, the last day of the month fell on. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're told that um, our, our uh, pay is going to change to a t- every two-week cycle. So they had given us this email that was talking about them overpaying us on uh, the pay period that we're now in which um, was supposed to end on the 30th of this month, but because of this now switch to this two week, every two-week schedule, we got paid on the 23rd. Now, the email they sent said we would get paid extra money this pay period to compensate for whatever the shift was and that we would end up getting a smaller um, check for coming up to two weeks later, which would have been December the 9th. So when we got the uh, our pay, <laughs> essentially our checks were short. And um, there was a big hoopla yesterday at the job. People were really angry, and a lot of them were discussing even, like, walking off the job collectively, just, like, they're just fed up with the way the company is doing things. So they had ended up, they ended up having to have, like, a company meeting. They had these two white ladies doing what white people do, which is lie all the time. They tried to uh, basically tell us that we wanted, they, they wanted us to give them until Monday to get everything corrected, which is what I told my coworkers is get their lives straight because they were sending out emails um, that was, that was putting out misinformation or that just what they claim that um, they were planning to correct the situation in March and that we would have to deal with short checks until March of next year. I'm not planning to be there till March of next year. So that's not happening. Then legally speaking, um, it's the law that a company in New York, then that they're not supposed to uh, change your pay as far as reducing your pay. If they're changing it, it's supposed to be get growing, not diminishing. So, um, if anything of the sort, and enough of us discusses, if anything of the sort comes through where this uh, this March uh, correction situation turns out to be true, then um, they're going to have some lawsuits on their hands um, because legally they can't do that. We all sign contracts for what our pay is supposed to be, but we got hired, so essentially they're going to be in some serious mess. So I said, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, white lying criminals, to get your lives together. So I'll see what they have to come with next week, Monday, which will be a whole slew of new lives. And, um, you know, we'll figure it out from there and see what's going on. Then um, come to find out, too, I learned that there was an article written about the company I work with and or work for, the plantation I work on, I should better say, to be accurate. Um, and the family, the the... the the family that owns one of the major owners of the company, excuse me, owns a bunch of buildings around New York City. And in the article, they were addressing uh, the Trump uh, Trump presidential campaign, and they had uh, 
Trump's brother-in-law, who's the older brother of the guy who owns the company we work for. And in the article, he said how they uh, ran Trump's campaign like a tech startup and that they had these computers that put out all these special algorithms that dictated to Trump what states he was supposed to go and campaign in at what times to get the optimum benefit of his racist white supremacist campaign policies and rhetoric he was spewing all across the country. And they seemed to be pretty proud of that, which was uh, pretty nauseating for me because it just just being a victim of white supremacy and then working for a company that directly supports a psycho rapist terrorist like this upcoming president is just nauseating. So it's making me push even harder to get away from that situation. So I'm not contributing to the system by even working for a family that supports this, uh, this creature. And, um, you know, I just thought about that. And then the other thing was I got to talk to my coworker um, who sits next to me that I explained, I started to get flare ups of uh, serious bouts of PTSD dealing with this white uh, freckle bleach fecal matter terrorist that I work with. And she told me that, that she ended up going to see her, uh, her psychotherapist. And she told me that the therapist ended up telling her that she's acquired at least one to possibly two additional mental illnesses that are being triggered by this literal two month interaction. Like I said, she just transitioned to our team in September. We're now in November and she has not had a bout of PTSD in over a year until this white terrorist became her supervisor. So this woman not only triggered uh, a situation that she seemed to have been dealing with very well and handled up to at least a year before she had, she became on this woman's team, but now she's triggered off possibly one or two other things that are making an appearance now due to her mistreatment. And um, I was just like, just completely flabbergasted and amazed when she told me this. I mean, I felt um, really uh, honored that she, she, you know, trusted me enough to confide that in me. But then I thought about it and it made me think of Dr. Darren T. Smith and the fact that, um, you know, him and a couple other doctors, I believe uh, Dr. Tommy Curry might have discussed this as well, and I believe Dr. Nayana Rasayan, the fact that just being in the presence of white people makes us ill. And to me, she is like the greatest example of that fact, that just dealing with the way these people function, they are functional, psychopathic, sociopathic, narcissistic, terrorist, racist beings. And just to have them in a situation where they have any sort of, uh, uh, I would say, in the hierarchy of things on the job, where you're working under that can be the most horrific experience possible. And it made me think about the fact that if this is what they're able to do in a so-called corporate setting, I can't imagine what our ancestors went through in the fields and in the houses of these creatures. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. Um, I'll give you another update once I find out what lies these creatures come up with next week. But thanks again for taking my call, and um, I'll meet my line. Oh, another thing. Um, I had uh, two uh, jobs that I was looking into, and both of them fell through. But there's a pretty hefty network of people that have left the company that are spread out to different places. So I've been getting information about other uh, companies that are hiring as well. And from what I understand, for the ones that I've been informed about, they're a lot better than the one that I'm at. So I'll let you know what's going on with that as uh, that develops as well, since I'm definitely trying to make a transition. Um, and like I said, just knowing that they, that this family is li literally in bed with Donald Trump, it's just nauseating. So for me, I just don't want to contribute to the system of white supremacy in that way. So that has kind of accelerated my move towards getting out of that company. So thank you very much for taking my call, and I'll meet my line, and thank you all.
Tommy uh-huh. from Rivasa. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've, I've been in that situation before uh, on several occasions where I'm working at a job and they just change the way you get paid. And, um, you know, one profound one, I think, was in 2008, right after Obama got elected. I'm working for a huge law firm. I mean, one of the 10 largest in the world. And, um, their 401k system, I guess, took a hit, and they call a huge meeting, and they tell us that we're going to all take a 10% cut on each one of our paychecks, and they'll pay us back when the economy gets better. They'll get it all in one lump sum paycheck. And um, that's what they did, and um, they kind of justified it by saying the lawyers are going to take a 35% cut, but, of course, they can afford it. You know, that 10% cut killed us, and... Um, they tried their hardest to get rid of everyone before those. They didn't give us our money back until 2010, and they they got rid of so many people that would never see their money that they lost out on that two ten percent uh, for this just the silliest reason someone would get fired. But I think that you know they always play without pay, and I'm glad that you guys are looking into um, maybe doing legal actions against it. I've been in a situation where that same thing happened to me where um, we were getting paid uh, twice a month, and then all of a sudden it becomes every two weeks, and uh, automatically they're missing out on like a, a day or two's pay on each paycheck because um, the, how the how the schedule fits. So, I, you know, you kind of feel that that way too, um, even though you, it does seem like you get an extra paycheck somewhere along the year, um, three in one month or something, but... Um, that that was a killer for me as well. So I, I kind of feel for you because I know how that works, and I'm glad you guys are taking legal action. Hopefully, I'll do. I'm in my line. Thank you. I wanted to chime in on that too because what I find interesting is um, they actually had the nerve to say in the meeting, "Oh, you know, you guys are going to get two extra paychecks per year. You know, before you were getting only 24 because we were paying you on the 15th and the 30th. Now you'll be getting 26." Like, that's supposed to be some sort of, you know, caveat that's going to make things better. I'm just like, Whitey, give me my money. You know, I did the work. I I expended the energy necessary to keep this company running, and I expect my energy to be returned in the form of that dollar bill. Every calorie that I burn for you, crackers, you need to give me that back in the form of a dollar bill or there's going to be a problem. So, absolutely. And then they actually had the nerve to switch people, and I heard that they did this with other departments too, and these were the people, including ourselves, that were the most livid about what was happening, was that we were salaried, and they switched us to hourly. <laughs> so they flipped everything. They flipped, They switched us to hourly. Um, the money's not adding up due to this adjustment, exactly like you were saying. And then they're just basically making things up as they go along, and there's actual written uh, – we have a an internal uh, – instant messaging system where someone was, my coworker who I was just speaking about was in communication with one of the HR reps about this, you know, the situation with the checks. And she was the one who wrote back in that uh, little instant messaging system that this was supposed to be corrected in March. And that created such a firestorm where people just like literally like stopped working and just started having conversations about how angry they were. And then from there, that's what made them have, they had like two meetings where they had us um, listen to them and they at, people ask questions, which they basically blew up all the questions until next week, Monday. Like I said, they're compiling their lives. And then um, they just realized that, that everyone's at a point where they're fed up. People are leaving in droves. 
And then now you're coming with this left field situation that doesn't make any financial sense. And of course, you know, a lot of people who celebrate these holidays, and thank you, Dr. Kamal Kamban, because the term is so appropriate, and I actually have appropriated it myself. I hope you trademarked it. But ultimately, the people that do were even more angry because right before, quote unquote, Black Friday, <laughs> you know, the day where most people tend to do all their Christmas shopping in that one day so that they don't have to worry about it later in the year, you, you know, you screw them out of their money. So now they have to worry about paying bills a different way. Then on top of that, now they're not even going to be able to get who, those those people who celebrate these these holidays are not going to be able to get the gifts they want to get at the time that would be in their minds most optimum to get it since the most sales take place on this particular day. So a lot of people were angry, and um, definitely the lawsuit situation is out there. There was um, one white female who actually says she has a really good lawyer that she's been keeping on tap for quite a while because white people are forward thinking. She kind of understood what I knew for, for quite a while myself is that, you know, white people are liars and they've been doing a lot of underhanded things at this company. So she was in touch with the lawyer. She was like, yeah, you know, if enough people are, you know, brave enough to step forward, we could do a class action lawsuit. So <laughs> it's definitely been discussed in quite a few circles. So if this does not get corrected on Monday, as far as the information that they're providing, they're going to have issues. And it's funny because there was an article done in a major um, newspaper in New York City about the way they were treating our co-workers prior to this because there were a bunch of people that left the company before that were uh, promised certain things and when those th when everything hit the fan and they ended up transitioning out of the company the company reneged on a lot of the stuff that they promised and most of it was monetary so and what what, what the article was talking about was the fact that they wanted to possibly get in contact with people to expose what was going on, and no one came out about that situation. So I'm pretty sure if this hits the fan, there's going to be more than enough people that's going to want to come forward and publicly land blast them, as well as the lawsuit that will take place if they keep playing. So thank you so much for your thoughts, and um, thank you, Thomas, for that, too, because you made me think about this on a deeper level, and um, definitely I'll keep you all updated. Thank you. Uh, before we nab... <clears throat> Any of our callers that we haven't heard from, uh, I just I was reminded when Waz, Roz was sharing that, and I stated before, I appreciate some of the literature at Forbes, and they had a report, this was months ago, they had a report about your company, they're going to do research on you, both before and after they hire you. They're going to do research on you. You should do research on them as well uh, to know more information about the place where you're going to work and where you're going to spend 40 hours plus a week or 35 or whatever it is. And even if you're in a position, I think Thomas in New York made a logical point about, you know, a lot of times victims of racism, we're in a position where we're in desperation. Racists don't allow us to have adequate compensation, adequate employment. So we can't be picky about the jobs that we get. Absolutely logical. Totally agree. But I still think it's beneficial uh, to have information like the article uh, Roz was saying about his company that he saw detailing that. That's the sort of thing that goes in your folder. I would check before and even while you're at the company, particularly you know, if they have other sites or other companies uh, around the company. Just check and see if anything. You never know what could be going on in the company, even if you don't do anything. Just put that in your folder that oh wow this took place and that could be one that you could share with other black people uh i mean if you deem that it would maybe cause problems they might try and snitch on you fine but that's one you could at least say hey did you see that article uh in the local paper about you know the company and they uh they tried to cha uh, change the compensation and were messing with the employees funds that happened uh you know over in ohio you didn't know about that yeah check that you know 
just past that sort of thing amongst other victims. I think that's phenomenal. I think that puts you in a way better position and lets you know uh, a lot more about the people that you're around and the type of things that they might try to do to you. Uh, other folks, guys, hang on one second. I just want to make sure that we okay. uh, didn't miss anybody. Uh, anybody that we have not heard from, uh, did you have commentary you wanted to share? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to present this question to Ross Thomas and you, Gus. Recently, I got a survey passed at my company about how do you feel about management? Should I stay codified and uh, be dishonest, or should I tell the truth about that's, the company? That's all is it? How do you feel about management? One, that's one sentence? About, it, it, it's, a, it's about 50 questions. 50 to 60 questions on there about how do you feel about management? Will you be here at the company um, over the next 12 months? Um, how do you feel about this terminal, that terminal? I'm a truck driver. Uh, um, all sorts of questions. Mm, I'm pretty cynical about that sort of thing. Um, if, uh Oh, I guess if you're driving your truck, you got to use your speakerphone. I'm just muting you while I speak so it doesn't echo, and then I'm going to unmute you. Um, I am suspicious of that sort of thing. I think I just said <laughs> the company, the race soldiers on your job, they do research on you. So I would do that sort of thing. That could just be uh, psychological research, uh, developing some sort of profile on our employees and who we want to fire or what. I think we talked about this before, where they have any sort of survey or personality assessment or anything on the job. I would be codified. I would not feel compelled to tell the truth. Uh, I would just, you know, whatever you think, uh, you know, the people that you work with and the things that go on on the job, uh, I would fill it out in the way that you think will bode best in your favor for you getting a raise promoted, nothing harmful happening to you. That's what I would do. I would just assume that this is something that could end up causing me harm. If I don't answer these questions in a manner that they find pleasing. So that's the way I would approach it. I would not feel compelled to be uh, truthful at all. Like if you know, you have a plan, I think you said one of the, the questions was, are you going to be here in the next 12 months? Um, even if you know, you know, I got a job, I plan on being out of this joint, you know, before the beginning of 2017, uh, I wouldn't put that on there. Like I'm, very happy and looking forward to a long productive uh, partnership uh, and think I can continue to contribute to this company's success. That's the type of response that I would give. I would not be, you know, com feeling compelled to tell them how I honestly feel about anything. Did other people want to respond? Uh, yeah, what you just said, um, I've had jobs where we had to take those surveys and um, get in a privileged position, I guess you could say, to um, deliver the mail. Um, those surveys um, would go to the person who's not supposed to be seeing them. So um, they usually say, oh, it's anonymous or, or you know, whatever. Now nah, that, that goes right to that person, and they get to take a look, and they have a meeting with everyone behind it, and they're trying to uh, maybe increase efficiency. So um, if a significant amount of people say, hey, this terminal, I don't like the way I'm treated there, you never know who that is that runs that terminal. That could be the boss's wife or son or whatever. And, you know, he, he wants to see those, the list of people who's had something to say. You know, so I would be very codified with filling that out. Um, I usually, my, my thing on the job is not to complain. Uh, I already know what to, I'm, I'm expecting the worst. And um, so everything is just peachy clean. You know, just pay me so I can go home. 
I got to say, everything that you said, Gus, I would have mirrored that because I was going to say pass the least resistance, whatever it takes for you to keep them off your back and be able to get that raise or, you know, whatever you need from these people, that's what you tell them. Um, what I found on my job is that people have been codified, and then when they have their exit interview, they have blasted the company, and it's like a ton of people who left, and they would literally walk out of the meeting and give us the scenarios of what they told them. And it's just the same general consensus about the mistreatment that we've all received there. So definitely, I would say in that situation, lie, do whatever you have to do to make them feel that you're as comfortable, as happy as possible, and as productive as possible so that you have a path of least resistance to being terrorized on the job. And I just wanted to touch on, Gus, um, what you said about sharing the articles. You are so, it's critical, and I want to implore everyone, definitely research your company. If there are articles, keep them. I've saved the articles that I brought up, and I've definitely shared them. Actually, they're spread throughout the company in a lot of, a lot of times where people will actually share them in a communal fashion, and I think that is very important because even if there is a situation where you guys do have a class action lawsuit or something of that nature, those sorts of articles you can also use to say, hey, this is public knowledge that they've been doing, you know, underhanded things to people. We're just coming with internal documentation of what has transpired and the nonsense that they've been telling us because even the, um, the internal um, communications that that uh, human resource rep wrote, I had my coworker, like, take a screenshot of that. And so I said, you know, I need to get a copy of that. You know, I'm making sure I keep everything documented. I just want to implore everyone to do the same. Definitely, you know, if you want to put your company's name in the search engine to see if there's any recent articles that came out or articles that came out in the last five years or whatever that might give you further insight into some of the inner workings of your company, then that's something that's very important, especially if you're dealing with any sort of negativity or mistreatment on the job. Thank you. Uh, before I check what the caller asked, anyone else want to respond to that? Answering out the questionnaire, I guess, on the job. Okay. Uh, the caller who asked that question, did that make sense, or what do you think? Yes, sir. Thank you, Gus. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Thomas. For sure. For sure. Uh, other callers who have uh, questions, or if you have your own scenario uh, that you would like to present, feel free. Uh, tweet. Share the program. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Until Justice. You can retweet uh, the program, uh, share on your social media, what have you. should be more victims of racism available today to get constructive, we hope, information. Uh, anyone we haven't heard from, feel free. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host the listeners and callers. I had a few observations from the past couple of days. Uh, the, the first was, like I had mentioned about, they, uh, this was my old supervisor before I transferred to my new department. Uh, he came in and uh, I guess he was trying to speak to be in the lunchroom. And like I had a suspicion. And, you know, I told him, I didn't say the word suspicion. I said, I said, you know, what are you up to? You know, what are you going to do now? So he started laughing and he says, well, you know, the ladies are, are very upset with you, you know, very, um, indirect. See, so I already had been, uh, detected that he was trying to do something. So he says, well, yeah, they're, they're very upset that you're not taking on the, uh, 
the quote unquote rat duty. So I say, what ladies are you talking about? So he started naming some and one of the ones he named was, you know, a black female that was uh, heavily opposed to me doing this. So I could tell he was being deceitful because she was very upset, like with him trying to get me to do that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had asked him, I said, you know, why, why am I the only person being considered for this uh, position? And then he starts making up stuff talking about, well, you know, uh, you're something, uh, you're young and, you know, you're promising, you know, whatever that meant. And then, you know, he says, I always thought that you would want to take on when, you know, when I retire, you know, since, uh, since you're, you are the protege and I'm the master, he used them words. Uh, so then I asked him, then I said, well, you are of a different age. And then, and then he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, I, you know, I didn't say nothing, but you are of a different age, right? And you're doing it. So, you know, is it because of my age or something? And he says, well, no, it has nothing to do with age. Then I said, well, if that's not the case, why you mentioned I was young? So, you know, he started cutting off the subject, like going on to something else, you know, watching TV. So he uh, deviated from the questions. And, you know, he didn't really ask me about it again. The, the second the second observation was the female had, uh, like, a picture of a friend, and she was showing it off saying, this is my friend who has two different color eyes, and one eye had, like, more melanin than the other. She didn't say that, but she said she had, like, a blue eye and a brown eye. And she said, you know, the brown eye is not a disgusting brown. You know, it's a pretty, you know, a pretty decent color brown. She didn't criticize the blue eye. Uh, and, you know, that was another short incident. And I had two um, encounters with two victims. And I think my codification worked decently. Like I was uh, in the elevator and I forgot to press number one to go to the first floor. And like there's this older black male, you know, he, he got on. I think he was trying to just, he was trying to get me to react for some reason. Um, and I thought about how Mr. Fuller mentioned elevator insults. He used that term in one of his lectures. And he was like, you know, well, hold your head up, boy. You know, look where you're going. And, you know, just throwing a bunch of toxic at me. So, you know, he didn't ask me no questions. So I was just, you know, looking at my uh, my um, device. I was listening to music. So when I didn't give a response, what was interesting was that he said, well, you know, well, talk to me, say something, uh, you know, and I was like, well, what do you mean? You know, tell me, he said, tell me what's on your mind. This is what he was saying. So I was just saying, I just said, oh, well, you know, I'm just trying to listen to this song right now. I'm trying to get it the lowest buffering. So, you know, the elevator opens up by now and, you know, we get off the uh, elevator and he said, what are you listening to? So I told him what it was, and he was like, you know, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, it's just something new that I've listened to. So we broke contact, you know, as Mr. Filler mentions, you know, uh, several times or whatever. And I went my way, and he went his. And there was there was another incident where I was in the office uh, with one of the three black females that I worked with. And there was another black female from administration. And it was very interesting because she was saying, you know, you know what, you, you need to 
you know, you need to hit her, she'll tell me to hit this other black female. Like, I guess, like, how uh, adults, like adults, uh, slap children on the hand. And she was holding her hand out because they like to play with each other like that. So, you know, I was like, no, nah, I'm not about to do that, you know. And she asked me, like, two more times. And, uh, you know, I was saying, you know, that's, that's violent. That's uncalled for. So she ended up saying, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll just go ahead and do it. So she slaps on the hand and looks back at me and says, well, you know, I was I was just testing you because you ain't supposed to hit a lady. So I don't know what that was insinuating. But, yeah, I thought I should uh, bring that here to report that. And that's all I have for now. Thank you. Wow. Very interesting uh, series of uh, of events. Uh, I think with that first one, with the whole rat situation, because I think you had mentioned uh, that to us previously about them wanting you to take over duties as the, the rat trapper or whatever it is uh, with that sort of thing. And it seems like this fellow is just coming in to be a problem, to nag and pester and lie and practice racism. Remembering Gwen Eiffel died at 61 add this to it when you have to deal with this sort of <clears throat> uh, this sort of debauchery uh, on the job uh, I think that is great I've stated this consistently anytime where you can just get back to questions not making a whole lot of statements you don't have to curse anybody out you don't have to call them a racist just asking questions figuring out the correct questions to ask that will do the work uh, a lot of times and shutting things down. He said he moved on other than now he's talking about television and boy, that empire was great. You can just shut the whole thing down and then we can just get back to work. Always great. If you can just take a few moments to think of uh, a question, even if you need a little time uh, to just pause as you're thinking and then see if, if there's a question uh, that could remedy everything that's happening. Uh, I think the elevator insults play that all the time. That's great. I think it's very, very hard for many victims of racism to just employ silence. You do not have to respond. <laughs> if and I mean you could use this even, you know, for race soldiers on the job, but you do not have to respond anytime somebody says something, particularly if they're trying to be rude, they're trying I think the way they say it is to get a rise out of you, which is kind of interesting, Wellsing moment. Uh, but if that's just what they're trying to do, even if it's not you don't have to respond every time. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to not say anything. And it seemed like in this situation, even though it was with another victim, you not saying anything, he wanted you to talk. Might have just been lonely. <laughs> he didn't have a, a constructive way to, to articulate that, what happens to a lot of, of victims of racism. We can't just reach out and just be, hey, how you doing, man? Good to see you. And doing okay? Family okay? How's the day going? Okay, good to see you. It can't just be that. It's got to be something derogatory. I feel like we talked about this earlier today. It's got to be some sort of animosity uh, when we are in contact with it. Smack this person on it. It's got to be some sort of conflict and animosity. I think that's great too, having a code about how you're going to deal with other non-white people and minimize conflict. Outstanding. And then you can refine and see where you can make improvements as you go. But that's always excellent decision. You don't have to say anything. You can just keep your mouth closed, smile, and keep it moving. Uh, other folks have uh, commentary and or questions that they uh, wanted to share. Line should be open. Feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I, I, what, what, what is uh, identified as uh, workplace racism, especially the word workplace, uh, uh, with me as the quote-unquote retired firefighter, uh, 
coaching is is almost it's not like a uh, a, a job. It's, it's something that I I, uh, I kind of like believe I was born to do in in a sense, and I use it primarily to uh, uh, affect the lives in a constructive way of of uh, black males, uh, and I and I've been doing it since 1981. Uh, along with at the same time while I was uh, uh, active uh, as a firefighter. Uh, but just since uh, 2000 and, and uh, trying to think the year I retired, uh, uh, 2007, 2008, I still continue to, to do it. Uh, and in turn, I, I've uh, assisted uh, literally uh, hundreds of uh, black males into into the transition from high school to college and they earned that by by uh their athletic ability uh they earned the, the money the tens of thousands of dollars that it requires for you to have a uh that comes along with what is called an athletic scholarship uh so uh lately uh the team where i'm at i've been talking about it uh off and on uh this uh this at fall uh to give an up to date uh the team uh has advanced uh into the uh playoff system uh high school sports is actually is is uh, a huge thing now is they got games that are on television uh and that's been going on now for at least ten years now. Uh, and, uh, it is, a uh, a lot of money that's involved with it. But anyway, uh, in the Florida system, uh, the state of Florida is, is at the top of the list actually, uh, for the transition from, uh, high school to college. Uh, and that, that is predicated on the college coaches because recruiting is the name of the, uh, game as far as success and failure. Uh, and to a uh, college coach to recruit uh, as many uh, uh, prospective uh, football players uh, so they can, you know, win all these titles that people be watching on TV. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, in our advancement to the third round, our opponent attempted to change the venue on where the game exists. I'm going to give you uh, a brief uh, uh, observation of the team that I coach at. As I mentioned before, without apology, for the, uh, my reasoning for coaching is my relationship I have with young black males. Uh, on the team that I coach at, uh, 99% of the players on the team and a hundred percent of the coaches are non-white black males. Uh, there are out of those three individuals who wouldn't be racially classified as black males. Uh, uh, one of them would be considered to be non-white. Uh, only one that I can say almost for sure. I'm not a white person, so I can't say 100% sure. But but I would generally say that I'm pretty confident in saying that that's a white male. There's only one person on the team. And he's not even significant as far as success or failure. 
with the team. Nevertheless, uh, our opponent, who the team is primarily uh, ran, even the school itself, is a part of the the, uh, clique in South Florida that were always the uh, power movers and shakers and and uh, 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 money power people in, in Miami-Dade County. The name of the high school is Coral Gable Senior High. Uh, the only difference is the, the white, uh, quote-unquote, cracker individuals left, I would say, finally, for the most part, in the, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and replaced by white people who speak Spanish. A lot of people get confused about that. But that's how I identify them based on a lifetime of being down here is that uh, uh, there's no difference between white people who came or may still be in the place that's called Cuba. Uh, it's just the difference is uh, you got some people who white people who speak the language primarily of English and you have white people who speak make the their common language Spanish. But nevertheless, they attempted to change the venue because they want the game to their advantage uh, and was expecting that they did not get any resistance uh, from uh, by doing that. Uh, but uh, it was uh, brought to their attention uh, due to the state of Florida's rules and regulations uh, that the home team, the principal of that school, uh, if he or she decides to change the venue for various reasons, then that would be that person's choice. And in our case, uh, that person uh, would also consult the head football coach. The head football coach, as I mentioned, is a, a, a very proficient uh, at uh, uh, his position as a black male, uh, and uh, if they picked uh, the top three high school coaches in the state of Florida, he would be one of them. I put it that way. Uh, uh, the uh, so that's the so anyway that was it, it wasn't it, it didn't get it didn't get changed uh, due to uh, uh, they had to adhere to the rules and it went all the way up to the uh, superintendent's uh, office uh, to make this decision. Uh, and as I mentioned, these young people earned, uh, the right to be able to have the game at their home stadium. Uh, as I mentioned before, early in the year, they attempted to make the case about the shootout that took place at, at that earlier game early in the year as one of their reasons for changing the venue. Uh, which, which this is a tactic that is used often by white people. Uh, they would, uh, uh, utilize uh, the negativity that takes place amongst us that was created by the system of racist white supremacy and with, even with that use that against us to their advantage to our disadvantage and that was uh, basically intercepted and, and uh, was not uh, not being able to utilize that was just one issue second issue uh, quite common uh, as I mentioned about the level uh, of uh, football players 
from the transition from high school to college, the state of Florida, it's the state of Florida, the state of Texas, and California. And uh, you can also measure it by the National Football League. Most of the, most of the players that are employees of the National Football League, they resided at some point in time in their lives, or for the most part in their lives, from the state of Florida. Uh, 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 but anyway, uh, to go back to what I was talking about, uh, it's very competitive, so everybody wants to be a, a starter so they can get a scholarship. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, some people, when they go to college, they don't really put a much emphasis on learning something, as Mr. Fuller has said, learning something and getting, getting their uh, degree and moving on with a plan, with a plan of action on what they're going to do in pursuing uh, uh, some sort of uh, means of employment and or some sort of constructive ambition. Uh, they just make it, you know, for the standpoint of playing in the NFL or being a professional athlete. Uh, uh, too many, I put it that way, uh, that, that uh, makes that ambition. Uh, and it was myself personally, I don't even care anything about the NFL uh, from that standpoint, although I coached a lot of guys who played at that level. But nevertheless, so there's a lot of pressure involved is what I'm saying. Uh, parents get involved, and for the most part, a lot of part is negative. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, mention about this particular incident. This is, one, this is the latest of many that I've been involved with. At the game last Friday, uh, parent belligerently uh, cursing, making a personal scene, uh, unfortunately, black male father. But the reason why I'm, another reason why I'm bringing it up because he's married to a white female that speaks Spanish. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the child slash student athlete, uh, uh, he was actually yelling at his, "Quote unquote son, son, to come off the field. The game was still going on. Now it was late in the game, and we were, we were going to win. But he was not satisfied with his child's playing uh, status, uh, uh, and he was basically was ordering him off the field uh, in front of this crowd, making a real thing, threatening." Threatening some of the uh, the other coaches, black males, threatening some of them, uh, that sort of thing. I wasn't really aware of it because my my post during the game uh, as the defensive coordinator, I go upstairs uh, primarily. Uh, but anyway, after the game, so uh, the the uh, the player actually he took off his stuff at his at his uh, advice from the father. And left it out there and, and, and left before the game was over with. Anyway, it resulted into a meeting at the principal, principal's office. Now, mind you, now no one is obligated to have a meeting with a parent about their child playing football or any high school sport unless they're being directly mistreated. I can see that. But as far as if the meeting is about how much the person is playing, uh, that can be a courtesy, but it's not a right. Uh, but anyway, it ended up being a meeting. Uh, obviously, to say the father did not show up to the meeting. The mother, this white female, uh, did show up to the meeting. Uh, 
the principal came in and briefly made a statement. Hey, I don't have the time to be in no meeting. My job is to take care of this school and uh, I'll leave it to the head football coach. That's his department. And I'll let him handle it. I'm going to take care of doing my job was to take care of the school. And he left. <laughs> rightfully so, I say. Rightfully so. And in turn, uh, the head coach, uh, he said he consulted with the mother uh, enough as he wanted to and basically uh, stated to the, the, the mother, I, know, I would know that your son is serious about playing football. He'll be at practice Monday which was a couple of days ago. He did not show up to practice. He did not show up to practice Monday, uh, but he made the choice to come to practice Tuesday. The head football coach uh, met him before he could reach the field and informed him to go back into the locker room, take his uniform off, because he was informed, meaning the head coach was informed uh, uh, that that uh, now what would have to take place in order for him to come back on the team, he's invited to, but he has to come in with a meeting with the father who caused that, all of that commotion at the game last Friday. Uh, mind you, uh, yesterday, uh, the mother, this white female, and it, it, gives, it gives some more analysis on, on who non-white black people, when they choose to have these uh, quote-unquote marital relationships with these white people on who they actually match up with, uh, big, obese, uh, double-stomached uh, white female showed up out there to football practice. Uh, reportedly, she's supposed to be an employee of Dade County Public Schools. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she's a, a teacher. Uh, but nevertheless, so she came out there, and I got in the golf cart with the head coach. We've been knowing each other. We've been knowing each other for over 25 years. And uh, uh, so we got in the golf cart and went out because he didn't want her to come out there on, uh, to, on our practice field, which is surrounded by a gate, to interrupt on what we're doing in practice. So, and, we, and the, the young coaches, they, they take care of everything out there for football practice. So we, we met her out there. And I just was in a listening mode while he was, con he was informing her about the things that I've already mentioned uh, so far. And uh, she uh, attempted to act like she wasn't paying attention. She was on her phone, making motions like she was on the phone, trying to contact someone. And so I, I decided to interject by asking a question and my question was ma'am is it anything that was being said that's been been being discussed that is not clear to you and she when when she when she answered by some some long uh inessential diatribe i said to myself this this is something that that needs to be end it and we go back to football practice uh and in turn uh that's what ended up happening that's what ended up happening she went about her merry way and you know the thing about it the 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 the, the, the child actually is a nice boy he's a very very nice not very nice child uh non-white black male would be considered to be a, a, a black male uh 
uh, and, and it's normally that's the case. Normally that is the case in most cases what I've ran into with this type of situation. Uh, and he's, he's very welcome to be, to come back out, to come back out there to the team. Now, mind you now, we have to win tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, afternoon, evening in order to advance in the playoffs. We would have to, uh, to win. But if, if we do, and he would like to come back, come back out, uh, he would have to get his dad to, to, uh, to, like I, like I said earlier before, meet with the principal. Over the over the issue, I just wanted to hop in, yes, sir. Uh, just to make sure other folks had an opportunity to to share. It is a it is a okay. Challenge. That's primarily it. That's primarily it about about the about the talk. But that's it. Oh, okay, right on. That is a challenging yes, predicament when you <laughs> deal with the parents in that type of uh, situation, and and it's not even just the parents, but a white woman and a black male situation on top of it. it's kind of a whole different type yeah. of a double whammy um, type of, of situation to deal with. And then, you know, when they've gotten out of control with youth uh, sports, uh, they should get rid of football anyway. Uh, and then we would be done with all that. <laughs> they were talking about that over this, uh, this past week, but that is challenging. Um, and I, I think that's just asking questions, being clear, and then reminding everyone of priorities that this is, you know, we're not talking about somebody's got, a $30 million contract hinging on, you know, what we do at the end of the season, that this is just, you know, high school athletics. How serious is this anyway? I would hope that we uh, have greater concerns about what our children are going to do. You'd be doing. surprised. You'd oh. be surprised on how serious people take it. You do not have to convince me. I have <laughs> seen it up close and personal, and I don't even. Everybody got their minds on the person being the future, next future Jim Brown. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, did, uh, other folks uh, that we have not heard from, did you all have uh, questions about commentary you've heard thus far or your own incidents you wanted to share? Oh, I also, I also would like to include uh, that uh, I would, with the survey, the first thing I would think about is whether or not it's a, it's a requirement of employees, I'm going back to what the uh, the uh, the person called in about asking about should he uh, take the survey and what he should say. If it is a requirement, I would give them the answers that they would like to hear. That's my that's my uh, chiming in on on that. Thank you. Right on. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, did you all have commentary or questions? see other hands we had a person uh that wrote in i didn't get to read all of the things that people shared a uh, person wrote in i was speaking to a black female co-worker teacher about requesting time off to handle an unfortunate incident she told me to be very careful about time off she is a tenured teacher and she speaks out against suspected racists in the school quite often so she has many suspected racist literally keeping an eye on her i think i said something before about surveillance after asking her why she mentioned that she requested a half day to handle something and came to work later while she was at her home getting ready to come back to work she noticed a strange car next to her house with tinted windows she got in her car and began to drive she noticed the strange car was driving also and began to follow her she slowed down 
and allowed the car to pass and started following the car. Eventually, she lost track of the car. After another day of requested time off, she noticed another car with tinted windows next to her house. She stepped outside of her house and started taking pictures of the license plate. A suspected racist with an expensive camera came out and asked what she was doing. An argument ensued and she told the racist suspect that she was going to call the cops. The racist suspect said that she was scaring him and he was afraid that she would hurt him. The guy, <coughs> excuse me, the guy eventually left the scene. After calling the police and giving them a license plate number, they said that it appears that the school has hired a private investigator to keep track of her whereabouts. I found it fascinating that the school would go to that level to dig up dirt on this person. In conclusion, no non-white person, especially black non-white person, is safe at a job dealing with suspected racists. That is astounding, and we should never be surprised in the system of racism, white supremacy, but as I hear it, many, many schools are struggling with budgets, period. They don't even have chalk, pencils, erasers, fish sticks, like basics, tater tots, the basics of learning, like struggling to get. How do you have money to hire a private investigator to go out and surveil black employees? Is this standard operating procedure? Now, see that. That would be another question, too. Now, is this standard procedure? Are we, how often are we under surveillance? Are we under, under surveillance uh, in our private homes? Uh, if we request time off, are we under surveillance at all times? What are we under surveillance for? I mean... This is the system of racism, white supremacy. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and even if it's not as direct as this type of thing, just your average white neighbor can do a lot of damage. Uh, and whites, they do network uh, and chit chat, especially about what their niggers are up to. So just that sort of thing. I mean, it's astounding. I've never heard of anything that flagrant before, and particularly with a school hiring a private investigator. But uh, just good to be mindful. Uh, that's what we are dealing with in the system of white supremacy. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from uh, who have uh, commentary? Anybody that we haven't heard from? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I had a question about uh, the workplace, like, asking questions. Because I don't know, like, I just wanted to see if people had, like, had, like, noticed a pattern or something. Like, when I ask... Um, my my supervisor, who is a white person, when I ask him a question, like a specific question, is always like really difficult to get an answer. But then, when I ask like a broad question about like a subject, they'll talk for a while, but then eventually they'll it'll become specific in the end. I was wondering if like people in the workplace had like noticed the pattern. Or if they had, like, strategies on how to, like, properly ask questions to get, like, what you want. Thank you. Folks have thoughts on that? Questions in the workplace? Well, probably. Oh, go ahead. I'll to you. Yeah, probably in in the in the uh, development of your question, 
it should be uh, in the example that would require a yes or no. Uh, and I, I can understand on on uh, and and on on uh, what you're saying as far as when uh, w- when it's something you know there's two different levels uh, where you may get something definite, but in another turn, with another question, it would be a broad thing that doesn't give in a direct answer. But uh, uh, even so, uh, try to make the question as concise as possible and precise as possible to whereas it only requires a yes or no. Uh, you know, when you're developing the question, uh, and, uh, see how that works out, uh, you know, from there, uh, that, that probably be a, a, a means of, uh, decodify, decodify things. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of the firefighter in Florida. Um, yeah, I was going to say, try and keep it concise and as direct as possible. Um, and yes, I think that's really great if you can um, form it and formulate it in a way in which um, it can be a yes or no answer. So that way it's as simple as possible for them and as simple and direct for you as far as getting that answer. And if it's something that they have to elaborate on, um, just try to be as direct as possible so you can try and get a direct answer. White people tend to um, talk in circles just so that they don't give you the proper details or information you need in order for you to do a good job or to make the proper decision. So totally. And I wanted to touch on, uh, Gus, what you were just discussing about being surveilled by the job. The only time that I've ever heard of a company surveilling an employee is in uh, like uh, long-term or short-term disability where a person, um, you know, might've said they had some sort of back injury and they were bedridden and the person, the company at some point felt that the person was abusing that um that FMLA, so they would actually hire a private investigator just to make sure that the person was truly incapacitated. And I've heard of people getting caught supposedly saying that they were bedridden due to some injury they got on the job, and then the private investigator would take picture pictures of them shopping at the store, and you know some of them playing basketball on their day off, and that's how they would get caught and end up in like major trouble. So that's the only time I've heard of that. So that's just very interesting. But like you said. Nothing in the system of white supremacy should surprise you. So I wasn't surprised, but that sort of surveillance, especially, like you said, especially from a school, like the schools are impoverished unless they're schools funded by rich white people, they're impoverished. So that makes, that's just in, really incredible. But like you said, it's um, not surprising and, and it shouldn't be surprising in the system. These people are terrorists. That's what they function and, and, and thrive on. So thank you. Can I be here? Yes, ma'am. Um, when it comes to the question, the, what I try very, uh, um, what I try to do is make sure that my question is thorough, like before I ask it, like I've given it some thought. Um, and then depending on the situation, I will either, I'll email my question. Someone could be sitting directly next to me and I'll email the question. Um, and that way I just have a record that I ask, like depending on what the question is, but even very benign things. I've emailed just because, um, number one, I don't have to talk to them and I just don't really feel like talking to them and dealing with it. Um, two, they can, especially if it's not pertinent and time sensitive, it allows them to just answer it when they want to. And we can just continue to have conversations without having to be in each other's space. Um, and three, there's documentation of, you know, that I've asked if this was something I, you know, put in front of you to, to look at or something like that. Um, but if it is something that I have to ask in person, 
Um, I make sure to maintain eye like it's like like my like my nonverbals. I make sure that they are um, as clear as um, like secure. I don't know if I'm using the right word, but it's like solid. Like I'm solid in asking you this question. I'm making sure I make eye contact. I'm not aggressive. I'm very professional, but also in a way trying to be like direct and commanding without. You know, not in my tone necessarily, but just in the, the fact that I'm making eye contact with you, making sure that you're going to answer my question. Like, there's certain things that you can do uh, with your body that make people respond to you differently. Not that, you know, us being victims of racism and being black, that that's, you know, well, with the system or anything like that, but like subtle manipulative ways to get certain responses. Um, there's YouTube's on videos, or there's videos on YouTube about it. Um, like if you nod your head, you can get people to like be more agreeable, you know, certain things like that. That's something when it comes to the question. Um, but be direct. And I don't stop. I don't know what other people's way is, but I don't stop until I get the answer that I need. So if I need a, like a date, we need to confirm a date. Like, I, you know, I make sure that we get the date because then if something happens, then it's my fault that it's not done. So I make sure that the response is as thorough as I need it to be before I move on to whatever, you know, whatever is next. Um, and this, for the caller that inquired about whether or not to be truthful or I lie all the time at the job. Um, that's my codification. I've, I'm cool with that. Like, I have no desire for anyone to know anything about me in real, in it, that's real at all at my job. Um, so I just lie. Like someone's going to ask me and say, like, I wouldn't even make a big deal about the survey. You know, like, is this, you know, I just, I wouldn't. I would just be like, yes, no, uh-huh, it's great, 10, high, satisfied, whatever. Um, but then again, I will state that I'm not, I work at a job, I'm not in a profession or a career where this is something that I intend to do, you know, until I retire or something like that. So I, maybe different situations call upon a different level of investment. But for me, I have a job, so I'm not invested at all. I just want to get paid. So I'll just answer the question, and I'm really not about to be honest at all because um, I don't need that conflict at my job whatsoever. So um, I, think, I think that was all I wanted to comment on. If I have, if I'll comment later or, um, yes, I'll come in later. Thank you. That's, I'm a big advocate of the uh, the email for the question, it, just as 1842 stated about that way you have a time-stamped record uh, that your question was asked. And I think that's particularly helpful in environments where uh, racists are trying to withhold information, uh, whether you haven't been trained properly or they're just not telling you everything you need to know to s complete your job in a satisfactory manner. And so if you can ask via email, then you have a record, and if they don't answer that can be presented. So when they try and say that you're an, an incompetent, ignorant, you know, nigra and, you know, you're out of here. So, well, wait a minute. I have a record of, you know, trying to get information so that I could do my job correctly. And where are the answers that can be to your favor? Uh, did other folks have, uh, want to respond to that in terms of question, best way to ask questions, uh, to get information on the job. Can I go out? Yes, sir. Um, I think that 
the most important thing for each individual is to um, get a copy and really review that employee handbook. Um, I don't think that enough of us really take the time and look through that employee handbook and get acquainted with the language in it and the guidelines that govern the particular organization that you might be employed by. I think that most people wait until there's conflict or potential conflict, and then they, um, you know, try to look for things in that handbook to try to navigate those difficult situations. But I would encourage every person as they're going into a working relationship to really take the time at the onset to get to know that handbook and more specifically, what are the policies that are in place for training um, and what are the protocols that are in place for if you need to report um, difficulties should they arise and also familiarize yourself with what the um, local laws are for your particular jurisdiction in terms of making certain that that employee handbook is compliant with what goes on on a municipal level or state level or even a federal level. I think most people don't recognize that until there's a conflict. Um, and also today, a lot of people are employed in situations where it's a, um, what is it? I forgot what they, uh, employee on demand. I forgot the terminology. But um, basically, it says that uh, they could fire you at any, re at any time without necessarily showing cause. And most people haven't read their employee handbooks and are not aware of that specific language that's written there. So I think that's also important. And I also think that it's important that people make certain that there is a non-compete non cause in their employment contracts. Uh, years ago, I worked for an advertising agency. And as I was leaving the agency, I was looking to start my own boutique agency, at which time when we had the exit interview, they pr produced um, the employee handbook and they produced a document which I signed at the time of being employed and there was a non-disclosure agreement clause which I wasn't aware of, I overlooked and part of that language specifically stated that I would be prevented from um, leaving that agency and starting my own agency for a number of years so I would um, also encourage folks to take the time to really read through the language of any employment contracts that you sign or potentially are going to sign. I think that's helpful in terms of the questions that you ask and how you phrase those questions because you phrase them in the language of what's written within those particular guidelines and if something is not clear. Um, it doesn't appear that you're being argumentative or difficult. You're just asking for clarification on information that they presented to you. 
both when I was deaf. Always a great suggestion to make sure you review that uh, manual, your policy and procedure uh, manual, just for your general well-being on the job and then specifically for questions. Sometimes you might even have questions about what's in that manual, but I definitely think that's always a great suggestion. Uh, that can be something to help you out on the job. Uh, other folks uh, that dialed in uh, have commentary uh, if the holiday issue came up at all on your job if there were any sort of uh, employee get-togethers or anything like that uh, that became an issue or trying to shift people's uh, schedule around I know that can happen as well uh, feel free to chime in if folks have additional commentary the number again 641-715-3640 the code is 564-943-POUND Press star six if you would like to participate. We have spectators today. I don't know if the uh, tryptophan from the turkey uh, hit a lot of our folks where they're just on the phone, uh, satiated from everything that they eat, and so they're just listening. Uh, but I still submit uh, we have way too many spectators for a workplace racism broadcast. Uh, this is not one folks to just be lollygagging uh, as though they do not have any problems on their job as a victim of racism. Uh, any other folks, commentary they wanted to touch on, things that we heard thus far, or additional uh, comments you wanted to share? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. This is 1842 again. Um, I wasn't sure how I wanted to frame it, so I'm just going to put it out there. I've been giving it some thought, and there is this older, um, I'm the one that lives in Virginia and commutes to D.C. I work like a block away from the White House in property management for the commercial building. And main, like, so many politicians, lobbyists, and all that kind of stuff working in the building. So this guy, that this white man that I'm about to talk about, is like a secretary of something, like, you know, whatever. So he gets a lot of uh, special treatment. Um, like, we bend over backwards for him and do things for him that um, this normal workers wouldn't get. Like, he wouldn't do those things. Anyway, I've been paying attention. Um, sometimes, like, I, I don't know if I'm, like, someone who just gets closer to the fire to see if it's really hot or something, but um, as to investigate just to, like, study the behavior a little bit more, um, I've been paying attention to how he's maneuvering around me. All white men, because I also work in the basement with the two white men, so I've been paying attention to them. One who I really don't know, um, I don't know either one, but one that's, like, really new, and I've been watching him. But then I've also just been watching these other white men. But this one in particular um, has been, and I don't know if it's because Trump's in office or I don't know what he's going through or what, but has definitely gotten, like, physically likes to get a lot closer to me and in my space. And it's caught me off guard and definitely, like, frustrates me or, make, you know, I get angry when he does it, like, inside. But I've also tried to be a little bit more observant of it and just, like, pay attention to, you know, all the signals I pick up before it happens and then, like, the entire interaction when it happens and, you know, just learn as much about it as I can. So, but anyway, not only is he getting closer to me, he's also um, touched me, but not, like, not, you know, like, all right, y'all, like, on my shoulder or on my arm, and I still don't like it. Like, no, absolutely not. And it's happened twice. Now, 
I've been practicing what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it because I know he's going to try it again. And um, a little, like, side note, though. So his wife, he and his wife have, like, these electronic holiday cards, and I've gotten them every year. Like, he just, you know, it's like a big email blast, so I'm not thinking anything of it. Now, this could completely be a glitch, but I thought it was really funny. So it enters my email, the Thanksgiving one, um, on Wednesday, and I see it. I don't even open it. I just delete it. But as soon as I delete it, it showed right back up. I was like, does it send something to say that the person didn't open it and deleted it, and then you could, like, resend it? But anyway, at any rate, back to this um, white man touching me. So um, I've been practicing what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it and how I want to be when I say it because I know it's going to happen again. And I think I've observed all that I can observe to see when it's going to happen in somebody else. Um, so there's no point in continuing, like, this whole thing. And... Um, I'm pretty much just going to say, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the eye contact and the nonverbal. Step back with, like, the one foot that goes behind the other one. I'm going to look him in his face and his eyes and say, don't touch me. No please, no nothing. Don't touch me. And I really don't care what happens after that because I feel like I just, not that I don't care what happens after that, but if he gets flustered, if he feels offended, I don't think that the, I don't care. For this, it's don't touch me because I don't want it to be any kind of, wishy-washy, pussy-footing, you know, anything. No, I don't, no one can come to me. I've already resigned and resolved myself on that, that no one can come to me and say that I'm being any type of way. Um, my body, my face, don't touch me. I'm open to thoughts and feedback about that. Thank you. I, I, have, a, I have a question. Yes, sir? Go ahead, Gus. It sounds like you wanted to say something. Let's hear your question. Uh, why, why wait for the next time? Is my question. Uh, my, my, uh, humble advice. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I did get through 27 and a half years on a job and I'm not a female also, but what I would suggest is to don't wait, go to, go to that person right now. You know, well, not right now because you're probably not at work, but as soon as possible and relay all of those things that you, that, that you said over this airwave right here, say it to him that the first opportunity you get, because, because he is aware of what he's doing, whatever agenda he has or why he's doing it. He has all of that knowledge and all of that right now. And this was not the first time this came up on the program, especially with, with uh, non-white black ladies. And, and, and uh, it, it has to be the, 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 the whole, the whole uh, 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 face expression of seriousness. Everything you said was correct. But my, my suggestion is why wait? He needs to know that as soon as possible. That's that's all I have to say to that. As soon as possible. Thank you. Anyone see any potential uh, conflict that could arise where this could make uh, a new problem for 1842 if she confronts this uh, suspected uh, race soldier and suspected uh, whatever you want, sexual... Uh, 
sexual assault that's happening here. Anyone think this could produce uh, any potential new problems by him saying that, you know, she's making some sort of false accusation or however they try and spin it? Anyone see potential for that happening? If she either confronts him when he touches her next or just as retired firefighter says, just goes in and says it immediately. Anything, anyone see any potential for them to, to make a problem for her? Um, can I be heard? Yes, sir. I say with white people, there's a potential for anything. It, it, you never know what they're capable of. Um, uh, what I would do is, um, I believe it was Estai who was discussing looking at the company manual and seeing what the um, clause is in regards to unwanted touching, um, unwanted sexual contact, things of that nature, just so you have an understanding of what that looks like as far as the way the company has indicated that, that those situations will be dealt with. Um, I think uh, if you were to have a discussion with him about it, I would record that discussion but I would make it abundantly clear that I do not like being touched at all or my space invaded. You know, if it's work-related, we can have a conversation, but you do not have to get this close to me. It's an invasion of my space. And then if that doesn't work, then I would then do what we discussed before on the show, which is to ask if you have company meetings, ask when everybody's there, you know, what is the company policy in regards to unwanted touching or invasion of one space or unwanted potential sexual contact with that person in the room. You don't have to call them out by name or anything, but just ask the question and have whoever the leading uh, person is, if it's a manager, the head of the company, whatever the case may be, have them speak to everyone to say that and just say, uh, okay, I just wanted to make sure because, um, you know, just want to make sure, you know, that this information is understood by everyone um, because I've had a couple of weird experiences here and you don't have to get into anything and just leave it at that. And that, sh that, I think, should be enough. But what I would get in the habit of doing is recording everything. Record everything. Whatever he, if he says something, um, if you have any meetings, record everything. Because you never know what you're going to get on that recording. And it's something that could potentially, um, you know, put you in a situation of advantage if anything does happen. So, um, yeah, I would just say in regards to your question, uh, Gus, whites are capable of anything. You never know where they're going to take a situation simply because they're white and they understand that they're in a position of power. And he seems to be playing a cat and mouse game with you. He knows that it's, he knows that you don't like it. And obviously he's taking a very um, subtle approach to making you feel uncomfortable and seems to be taking advantage of the fact that you tend to work in an isolated condition. So I would just also be careful of that. I don't know if you have like mace or something that you might need to protect yourself in case he tries to get funny because with white people, when it comes to that, entering your interpersonal space and that sort of um, unwanted uh, contact, it has a lot to do with the plantation era where they felt they just had jurisdiction over our bodies and they could just do whatever they want whenever they felt like it. So if you think about it in those terms, if you think about it like a Sally Hemings um, when she dealt with Thomas Jefferson or any of these others, you know, fondling fathers as uh, Dr. Wilson used to call them, then you'll understand the potential that of the potential danger that you might be in with the, a white male in that sort of scenario. So that's that's what I would contribute to the discussion. Thank you. And on what state are you in? I want to look up what the laws are as far as um, recording. I will record it regardless of what the laws are, just so you have it. But I will look into that for you as well. And um, there there are like USB recorders you can get on Amazon. The one that I got is like eleven ninety nine, and it can record up to thirteen straight hours per day. So you can literally record your entire day from start to finish. And if there's anything that has happened or transpired, you can actually cut it 
to the section that you need so you can save it, log it, put it in your computer, or save it to a disk or whatever the case may be so you have an ongoing record. And maybe once you've accumulated enough, you can then present that information. Um, so, yes, I was just going to – oh, you said that you um, work in Virginia? Or you live in Virginia and work yes. in D.C.? Yes. Okay, I'm going to look look up what the laws are in D.C. because that's obviously where you're encountering this, uh, the psychopath. So I'm going to look into that, and I'll, I'll chime in with that information shortly, okay? Okay, thank you. Oh, all right, thank you, too, and I wish you the best. I'm always a big advocate for uh, the touching, even if it's, you know, not explicitly sexual, like, you, like if it's a shoulder or anything like any sort of touching that you do not want to be happening does not make you feel comfortable that you think should be stopped getting that done immediately Uh, i've stated before it's my view whether you're a male or a female when you allow this sort of thing to continue like if you know if it's just a hand or a hug because we talked about that before as well any sort of touching that you don't like or you're uncomfortable with uh and you don't say anything and it continues they escalate. That's how the Jerry Sanduskies get down. We've talked about this many, many times. The racists, they're good at that. Like, oh, got them. We're just going to keep doing it. And my suspicion, uh, just going to the pathology of, of whites, uh, I think when they pick up on or get a sense that this is something that you don't like or it makes you uncomfortable, they seek to do it even more in those circumstances. They enjoy our discomfort uh, and us, you know, suffering when they have us in that uh, position where we're fearful of saying anything. We don't want to upset them. Talked about cowardice today. Uh, They enjoy that sort of thing. So I'm just big time of the opinion that should, you know, to the best of your ability, make an effort to get that stopped immediately uh, that this is not acceptable. Uh, I do. We're not supposed to be engaged in any sort of touching on the job. Most workplace, they have standard policy about uh, harassment and unwanted touching in the workplace. I'm here to do my job. We can be courteous, but, you know, I do not do any form of touching, hugs or whatever it is in the workplace. Please make sure that this never happens again. Thank you. And be, as you said, eye contact firm. I'm a big advocate. I think either or if you I want to do it immediately, as retired firefighter said, although I could I could see. Where racists, if you do it in that context where they could, you know, just be totally surprised. I don't know what you're talking about. It was such an innocuous thing. I don't even remember. I touched you. Are you serious? Like to go that route with, you know, you're just making this up. and You're making a big to do uh, about nothing. I could see that route. Uh, so I could see where maybe it might be beneficial if you wait until it happens in the moment to stop it exactly then. So we have a lot of time illustration of the incorrect behavior. But either way, I, I advocate either way of bringing this to a halt immediately. And as you said, using your words, being firm, direct, eye contact, uh, whichever approach you think is best. Um, Gus, I did find the information on recording. Um, I totally agree with you, and I, um, I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure it sounds like you're, you're pretty sharp, that you've been recording the previous incidences, whether it's writing it down or documenting it electronically and sending the communication to yourself at home, just so you have that written record, but I will start recording. And for the District of Columbia, it says an individual may record the contents of a wire or oral communication if he or she is a party to the communication or has received prior consent from one of the parties. So you are a perfect candidate. Get that recorder, start recording, and I would do it daily and just have a daily record of each of your days. If there's anything that transpires, any discussions, anything that comes up in a meeting that, that you feel you can utilize and put, you, put yourself in a place of advantage, 
you just cut the recording at the end of the day. You can save it as a um, WAV file or convert it to an MP3, which I think is better because it will save you space on your computer. And then you have an ongoing electronic record. And I think that'll be a really good approach, but absolutely, I agree with Gus. And I agree with the firefighter, too, just to try and just address it as quickly as possible. Like you said um, yourself, direct eye contact, you know, um, stern and, and assertive. And then from there, once you put that out there, the other thing we discussed, like I said, is, you know, if you have a company meeting, just ask that question. So, so that person is there without calling them out so that you understand. And then from there, so that they understand, excuse me. And then if something persists after that, then you know that you can move forward with confidence and say, well, hey, you know, I brought this up for a reason. I didn't want to make this person feel uncomfortable. That's why I asked the question in a public forum without calling them out. And they're continuing this behavior, so I now want to follow an official report. And if you have the recordings, hey, I got the recordings. There's stuff that he said to me, you know, he, and, and, you know, I asked him to, to, you know, not to come into my personal space, just to say whatever he needs to say or whatever we need to do work-wise, but please don't violate my personal space. And this is what he had to say. And then from there, you can move forward. So I wish you all the best because these people are psychotic. And please be very careful. I don't know, if, like I said, if you have mace or if you're a licensed firearm carrier or if you have a tactical pen or something like that. But I would just say be very careful because they are very, very dangerous when it comes to sexual contact. Um, thank you. Hello, can I just say something real quick? Yes, sir. I just wanted to say to the female caller that like, I wanted to echo what you're saying about, like, an escalating situation. Like, sometimes it can take a while, but sometimes it can be quick. Like, I was also on the job, but at a different location. And uh, uh, sort of like this white male, he sort of said, like, he knew me. He was like, oh, I know you. I know you. Uh, I've seen you from somewhere. I've never seen him before. Like, and I was, and this was a different part of the country, like, halfway across the country. I don't know you, man. And... Maybe like 20 minutes later, I think we were looking at some like paperwork and he touched me on my shoulder and I looked at him and I said like, what are you doing? So, and then he's, and then from then on, it, like it got squashed, but like it can escalate, they escalate sort of like something where they, however it started, it can quickly escalate, but the quicker you, you shut it down, the better. Thank you. Hey Amen. I was going to say too, I think. Not just for her situation, I think in general, just because that's one thing that stands out. I think Mr. Nero had questioned some years back about there seemed to be a lack. We've been including workplace racism in our weekly dialogues for about three years now. And he felt that the sexual component on the job was lacking, that that wasn't coming out. He felt like that had to be. Uh, that was being underreported. People were experiencing it and it wasn't coming out. I feel like since we've been doing workplace racism as its own program on Thursdays, that I have heard more of that from males and females. Uh, unwanted touching and sexual abuse, I feel like, uh, or sexual, any sort of uh, sexual misconduct. Uh, we've heard a lot more of that, uh, I think, over the last six months to a year, particularly six months since we've been doing this program. Uh, but I think in that vein, I think it's, always a good idea to be in the habit of asking especially when you start a new job where if they have training what and publicly even if nothing has happened to you just to be on record what is the procedure for dealing with an incident of any unwanted touching uh, or allegation of sexual misconduct uh, and get that one and I would make sure everyone there CEO everyone uh, janitorial staff 
I have a blank sheet of paper and a pen or I have my, you know, iPad or whatever, my device out and they can see me writing or I got my recorder. I'm going to record this. so I have this for all time with the procedures so that I will know if I see it. Uh, if someone says that they think this happened or whatever the case may be, I will know the procedure and maybe even some other people need this information as well. And let them give it to you all the way. And I would even ask questions if you're uncertain, you know, if this happens or if this happens, what if it's they're saying something or what if it's, you know, they're, they're coming up and just putting their hand on you. It's not a hug per se, but it's, it's unwanted touching. What if it's a hug? You know, you can give concrete examples and tell them ex- that way they can explain exactly what it is. So then, you know, if something happens, you know, and I submit strongly a big part of this strategy is them seeing you ask about this seriously you're taking notes you got your recorder that i mean business i have no intention of having anybody here white non-white whatever it is put their hand on me ever i'm not going to tolerate this at all like it's going down immediately first time when you can send out that signal that can interrupt this and i think you can even pick that up going on if you didn't start out that way you can get there uh quickly just understanding and that's why i said for 1842 i'm a big advocate immediately asap let's get this done so you know we never have this again not just from this guy but anybody else other folks want to respond i would just say from from my almost 28 years of experience uh with me personally as well as what i've observed with other uh, non-white people, especially non-white black people in response to white people on the, on the job as far as any type of touching, even a shake. I have been, I have been in uh, meetings where disciplinary action takes place. Now, I don't, know, I don't know the origins of the handshake when it comes to white people, but the way I see it identified in a lot of cases is after they're trying to uh, suspend you or discipline you some kind of way, they have the nerve to stick their hand out to shake your hand. And I've always had a codified response to it. And, and, and I, would, I would say out directly, in some cases, I care not to shake your hand uh, at the moment and leave out the office you know, as far as they're concerned. You know, it, 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 it just, it's just a, a, a gesture of, 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 of testing that non-white black person to confirm on that non-white black person's level of, of, of submitted to the mistreatment that they're doing to them. And almost exclusively anytime they touch one of us in some kind of way, especially in my mind when it comes to a, uh, a black female, because, because white people don't need black females or, or black males uh, rather on the jobs uh, especially with black female, other than from really from sexual purposes, that's about it. As far as they're concerned, really, they really don't need them otherwise. They can fill in that with a with a white woman or or or, or a, a, another white male. As far as they're concerned, so uh, I would take that deadly serious. Uh, and and, and uh, as soon as possible, I didn't I didn't mean to be kind of like real real abrupt to it, but I, as soon as possible. Uh, 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 let that person know, uh, 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 and as she stated, clearly look him right in the right in the face because because it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better uh, from there. If anything, 
what it does in delay and delaying what it does, it gives them a sense of it's all right. It's all right. I mean, it's no, it's no different than what I've heard about from some uh, non-white black people that I know that, that were close to me that went to prison on how, on how it, it takes place as far as rape is concerned uh, in greater confinement. It starts from a touch. It starts from a touch, a, a particular type of look or something like that in close proximity to that person that is going to be the target. And it don't get better. It doesn't get better from there. And the only thing that prevents it from not happening is, is, is that per- because white people are going to, be, going to misbehave and going to threaten and do whatever they do to us anyway. They're not going to stop. I think that question came up. They're not going to stop anyway. So whatever as far as job security is concerned, I know all of us are, are, are concerned about that. But when it comes to that point right there, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's no avoidance to it that's going to, want to with delay if they want to try to get rid of you or not. It's still going to be there. Uh, so, you know, let that person know as soon as you can as far as my suggestion. Thank you. For sure. Give us the update. We got to get that in as well. Update us if you share, if you have a situation on the job, if something works out constructively, uh, or, you know, if it does not, uh, share. Let us know. Give us the update in terms of uh, how you decide to proceed with things and then the result. That helps us. You know, if some things work out well for you, great. We need that. Um, And as much detail as possible so we can, you know, try as much as we can to replicate uh, any counter-research uh, success uh, folks are having on the job. Um, checking to make sure, see if we got workplace commentary texted in. Let's see. Uh, is this workplace? Came up. Uh, is this related to workplace? I will share this later, but I don't know if this relates to workplace races, but I will share it anyway, uh, just because it is, is relevant. Uh, the caller at 2812, 2812, did you have commentary? Uh, yes, good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, good evening. Um, hope everybody is well. Um, I'll be brief. Uh, <clears throat> this week, it was a, it was a um, damn, really, really uh, short week. Um, one of the things that, um, I noticed in my area of Virginia where I work, I'm the caller in the mortgage business and I went to a real estate closing in the town of Orange, Virginia, and literally the, the attorney's office that we went to to do the closing was, I'd probably say it's about, man, they may be three minutes away from, if anybody's familiar with the former president, James Madison's, uh, Montpelier. If I'm saying that correctly, uh, literally right down the street from his plantation, and I mean three to five minutes. And every time I'm there, it's like a very eerie feeling in that town. And I do a lot of business in that town as well. Uh, and the majority of people I do business with um, are not non-white people; they're primarily white people. And specifically, when I went to the office and I sat down, and you know, the, I did a loan closing for a white male, white female white attorney closer, white real estate agent. And behind me, there were some records. And uh, I think the lady cashed. The lady saw me, kept staring at them. 
because they were from like the 1830s. And they said 1830 judicial records, 1830 tax records, 1830 property records. And in my brain, I was thinking 1830 property records, man, that would be really interesting to see, you know, the, you know, the ancestors and the family members or, or possible family members that I know that are probably in that case. And she was like, Oh, that's just a replica, but that's something that we just took from the other building and, and we have it here just so people can take a look and see. And I was just sitting there and I look at her and like, it's just amazing in the system of white supremacy, how they look at things and um, how we, how we see things and how, you know, the mistreatment of non-white people just in something where we were treated as property that's very, very nonchalant. But just every time I'm in that area, it just gives me an eerie feeling. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, this week was really, really slow due to the, the holidays and stuff like that. So I didn't really have much interaction in the office. But um, being in those close, every time I go to that town and I have to do business, like right near that plantation, even though the system of white supremacy is everywhere, but specifically um, around there, uh, it, it is a little bothersome. But the only good thing is that every time I go there, I do smile because I think about Paul Jennings, um, who actually worked for Mr. Madison. And then when he actually was in the White House, he led one of the largest slave revolts, uh, freeing 77 slaves. So that was interesting. And um, I don't have much. I'll leave my line. Thanks, Gus. <laughs> That is interesting. Wow. Certainly a difference in perspective. I think that has come up uh, consistently uh, within the system of white supremacy. And um, there are a number of black people who work in those, like literally those type of environments where they're working on a plantation or near uh, a plantation uh, and just the the dynamic uh, of working in that type of uh, environment. Uh, You can... If you know what you're looking at, you can see some interesting things, and, and particularly the way that whites conduct themselves in those uh, type of environments. Um, yeah. Did other folks that are with us, did you all have uh, other comments uh, or questions uh, you wanted to share as we proceed? I wanted to make sure I emphasize uh, also recommendation. Um, it's not silly. It's not. I don't. I think it is is helpful to review what you want to say like if you have a situation like if you're going to take the suggestion about if there's some unwanted touching or what have you in the workplace and so you're going to say in a meeting publicly you know what's the procedure for dealing with unwanted touching on the job what's the company position on this um you might want to practice a few times saying that out loud just so that you can hear yourself saying it you'll have the memory the muscle memory of uh your mouth moving and saying the words and then you'll hear yourself saying the words and how you sound how you want it to sound uh it'll be you'll have some memory associated with this process for some people if you're nervous or you know have a little anxiety about it just try same thing practice with anything else you practice you go to the gym you take a few shots or you know if you're doing capoeira or whatever it is you practice same thing so you practice your codification for being on the job uh, just give it a few runs. If you have, uh, if you don't live alone, you can practice with the folks that you live with. If you have offspring or if you're married or whatever it is, a care mate, uh, you can practice uh, just so that someone else can respond to you saying whatever you do. I think it would probably benefit some at least to give it a try uh, just so it'll make you a little bit more comfortable when you have to respond verbally on the job. Other folks have commentary they wanted to share? 
Yes, uh, that, that's, that's a, always a, a great idea that you uh, mentioned, Gus. Just thought about it. Uh, just uh, wanted to inform uh, anybody uh, on what takes place uh, on a typical uh, day at the old fire station uh, on uh, Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, it's it's kind of like synonymous with the other two uh, large scale quote unquote holidays, uh, Christmas and New Year's Eve. Uh, it's a good day to 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 go to work uh, from the standpoint of uh, there's normally not a whole lot of uh, e uh, emergency call activity uh, during that time because for the most part people are somewhere sitting down somewhere uh, and. Uh, and uh, 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 that that sort of thing, uh, but uh, there is problems that can occur anywhere from uh, the uh, the frying of the turkey gets out of hand and sets fire to the whole house, or uh, from or from the standpoint of uh, when the liquor runs out uh, uh, and and the arguments get higher, uh, uh, somebody has to dial nine one one, but. Uh, at the fire station itself, just at fire station is is normally the activity, some of the similar activities that goes on in your home. Uh, yes, it is dominant that those that the uh, the fire station takes on the same uh, presence as quote unquote typical uh, uh, family life in this part of the world with the Christmas tree, the the turkey, and uh, well, I don't know what exactly goes on with New Year's, but anyway. Especially those two two days. Uh, normally, what I what I uh, uh, would do is when they go to the grocery store and and they get it, well, the turkey actually is 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 already uh, taken up by the shift before, uh, so that's already there. But when when that present shift gets a chance to go to the grocery store, I just I either bring my food that I that I need to have that sustain me during the whole day my on my own or. Uh, go to the grocery store and get what I want out of the grocery store, and uh, openly make it known that I don't practice the 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 the, the, the things that is going on by the majority uh, of of the of uh, the people at the station. Uh, for about a couple of years, though, it, it was it was uh, a lot of us uh, that was that that was in unison on the same things of not celebrating the holidays, and we we'll let it be known not by saying it, just by doing it. From that standpoint, and uh, normally you wouldn't hear anything out of the white people at the station uh, because they have a understanding that you have an understanding on why you're doing it in the first place. So they they won't even bring it up, you know, as far as that standpoint. Uh, and uh, so that I've never had any really problem with it because. They had a pretty good understanding. White people do their homework. They know they have a pretty good understanding of that non-white black person when they're on duty and when they're off duty. Uh, they do their research on that person, and they normally, in that aspect, leave them alone for the most part. But that normally takes place. That's that's what normally takes place at the fire station uh, when it comes to the quote-unquote holidays. Thank you. Hey guys. Yes, sir. Oh, can I ask a question to actually to to firefighter, if that will be okay? Let's hear it. Oh, okay. Um, my question is, I actually, um, this is to a firefighter. I went on a tour 
of a fire station actually a week ago. And it was very, very interesting. Um, I had no idea that that equipment and uh, the guy was explaining to me the chassis and some of the new trucks they had in there were close to almost a million, $1.5 million. But one of the interesting points that he brought up to me, well, he was talking to a group, and this is all white, all white people. But one of the interesting things he brought up was the fact that they are having trouble with the budgets. And one of the things he said was that um, sheriff's departments and police departments always get, you know, upgraded equipment and they always seem like they're getting updated funding and uh, fire departments around, he just said in their local area in Virginia, uh, always have trouble and they have to do like fundraisers and things of that nature. And I equated that to uh, white supremacy dedication to being violent and not really uh, wanting to help people. Is that something that you guys see in your particular area as well in Florida? Uh, from where I worked at, not so much, but what normally the fire department does and does it just about anywhere, when anything of that nature comes up, they'll just get a whole bunch of white people on the job to put on their T-shirts and go downtown and scare up uh, through the media Scare up uh, uh, white people on, hey, if, if you don't give us the money we're asking for, uh, it may be a few more minutes before we get to your house uh, to uh, uh, handle your, your issue and problem, and they'll get what they want. Right. Uh, uh, simple as that. Uh, Dade County Fire Department is, is in the top, I believe, five uh, large fire departments in this part of the world. So they... they probably are not going to have the same problem as the, uh, the uh, quote-unquote fire service that uh, you're talking about. Gotcha. Appreciate that. Thanks, my friend. Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Gus. Um, I just want to chime in with something that I've been pondering for a little while. And it's really that, especially because I've been thinking about the black female that, that uh, brought up the um, the, the invasion of her space and all of the unwanted, uh, potentially looking like sexual contact um, that she was getting from this coworker, this white coworker terrorist. Um, one thing that I've come to understand studying the system of white supremacy is that white people are predators. And I think that because they walk on two legs and because they look humanoid esque, um, colorless, of course, but they look humanoid-esque, that it, it's very easy to put it in the back of your mind that they're not, they're, they are not what they really are. And if you look at them the same way you look at any other predator and understand that the mind state of a predator is always shrewd, it's always cunning, and it's always opportunist. And if you look at white people in that way, that's how I look at them everywhere. The same way that white people will clutch their purse if they see a black person, I look at them like they're the thief. You know, I, everything I do is basically I mirror their treatment of black people back at them, no matter where I am, because I don't trust them. I don't fear white people. I'm wary of white people. And I think that if we get into the frame of mind of looking at them as a predatory, matter of fact, the most dangerous predator that actually exists in our three-dimensional existence on this planet, we will start to understand how dangerous they can be and the fact that something that's seemingly small 
can really spin off and snowball into something that is completely unexpected. Dust says this regularly. You know, white people can ruin your life in less than five minutes, and it's one of the truest things I've ever heard. I've seen that take place with people, and I think it's because we have been trained to see our enemy as our friend, and then we've been trained to see the person in the mirror as the enemy. And they've been so successful at that that we psychologically have set ourselves up in a way in which we view them the wrong way. And because we view them the wrong way, sometimes we don't always have the foresight to, to think ahead of the type of predatory experiences that they will lay in our path to try and destroy us or to try and dominate us or to try and um, subjugate us. So I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. They are dangerous. We have enemies. I think uh, Triumph 3000, she was with us on the program uh, last week. She emphasized that we have enemies uh, and we should make an adjustment in our minds with regards to uh, how we view them. Uh, other folks have commentary they wanted to get in. We are winding down. Uh, folks have additional commentary they wanted to get in, either questions or observations, thoughts on you know what we have discussed uh, throughout the evening. Uh, go ahead and share now. Uh, please do not wait until the last minute. Go ahead and get your hand up if you want to respond to anything that you have uh, heard thus far. And certainly if uh, the holiday, as I stated, if the holidays have caused a problem, if you had any sort of Thanksgiving-related trauma uh, on your job, you can share that as well. Uh, the caller from a block number, did you have commentary? Hi, hi guys. Hi to all the callers. Um I just I just thought I would share uh some um anti blackness that was really intense. Really intense. Um there's a gentleman, he, I can't remember what country he's from, it's in Africa. But uh, the first time I heard him talk about his experience coming over here as, you know, someone adopted by the Mormons, you know, kind of was wary of him. But what they're doing is they, they want to do uh, megadata on all of the non-white children around us. They want to, you know, get all the, all the information from the schools, all the information from when they throw them in cages, all the information on that. They just want to do this massive data acquisition, which, you know, has never led, they never used that to our benefit. They never used it to our benefit. So what I witnessed was a good cop, bad cop scenario in court. There's one white person who just comes across as, you know, the, the typical racist. He likes to ask the guy, you know, I wondered if you were clever enough for that and uh, what kind of degree do you have and uh, who vetted you? Did anyone vet you? So, you know, everyone's appalled at this out-and-out racism. And then they have the other white guy who goes, oh, he's just the best black guy in the world. He's been vetted by everybody. He's just awesome, and we and it's just really not necessary for you to treat him in, in this disdainful manner. And then I, you know, I got up and I said, well, the bottom line is, is you know, I, I don't, this is nothing personal, but I just don't see how doing big data on these small, tiny children is ever going to work to their benefit since it hasn't done so in the last 400 years in this country. So I explained this to the gentleman, the, the black gentleman, you know, and he looked at me, he said, you are evil. You are evil. You harmed me. You deliberately you deliberately went against me, and I think you're an awful human being. You know, and I'm like, I mean, it was just so 
he's totally missing the thing. He, he the, the white guys were playing him, and he, the person he focused on was me. So I just, I, I was just astounded by that. It was just, he's, just watching them manipulate him like that was just astounding. So I don't know how careful I have to be around him, but I'm thinking we're going to have to be pretty careful around this guy because his hate is, his hate for me is genuine. That sounds like it should be a, uh, T-shirt or something. This hate for me is genuine. <laughs> it's it's like it's like you don't even know me. It's like, but he's like, you're evil. You're awful. You're the whore of Babylon. I'm like, and I'm like, dude, these white people are playing you. One of them's calling you, you know, a, a cur in public, and the other one's going, no, he's a good cur. I can vouch for him. So I'm, and he's missing it. He's missing the whole thing. He's missing it, but uh, I mean, at first they turned him against his parents. He talked about his parents like awful. I've never heard anyone talk about their parents like that in public before. Many uh, victims of racism, unfortunately, we are groomed to uh, anti-blackness. Feel like we've been talking about that a lot today. We end up uh, being groomed to be in conflict with each other and just to be very discourteous in the way that we treat each other. So kind of have to develop a code about dealing with that uh, as well. Uh, how you're going to deal with other victims of racism who, you know, the anti-blackness becomes a major factor. And particularly on the job, I say that all the time. That's, you know, something that we've, we've talked about in developing strategies for how to how to try to neutralize that on the job. Hey, Gus, I have to chime in on that because I have to say the um, show today was really great with um, Foley Fiomi Grant. I wasn't able to chime in because I was with the family and it just wasn't conducive to me being able to speak, but I did get to hear a healthy portion of it. And um, I think it's one of the greatest things because you, you really changed my life with that, with, through this program um, in regards to my feelings about black people who didn't deal with white supremacy the way I felt they should have dealt with whatever the situation is. And um, I just think that it's really important for us to think about anti-blackness and how and how much of a big role that plays in white domination of non-white people. Um, the main thing is that when we, especially when we go into the job, we have to remember that we're consciously making a decision every day to walk into a theater of warfare. When you send your children to school, you are consciously making a decision to send your child into a theater of warfare. These are theaters of war, which is where these are the most acute situations that you can come into contact with predatory white people. And if we start thinking of these areas of people activity as theaters of warfare, then we start to function with a, 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 a warrior's mentality in regards to how we practice counter racism. And one of the biggest aspects of that is black people not mistreating, not disrespecting, not uh, bad mouthing and, 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 and harassing other black people. And especially um, and getting into um, collusion and uh, dealing with whites and helping whites facilitate their abuse of other non-white people. And I say that a lot because, you know, my wife has suffered a lot from anti-blackness and the most traumatizing aspect of the system of white supremacy from how I see it manifest with her is the fact that it's people who look like her that have given her the worst pain and have given her the worst trauma 
And um, it's something for us to really think about, especially when we talk about black mental health, because I've seen my wife suffer with her mental health due to the abuse she suffered from white people and non-white people and especially our own black people. So it's just something for us to think about because we deal with enough every day um, not to put extra pressure on each other by facilitating abuse that these people sit back, laugh, and make jokes about and have fun and even participate in. And some of us will actually help them facilitate the abuse of others that look like them. So it's really something that is important, and I really want to thank you for that, uh, Gus, because like I said, you changed my wife, my life. I was very much on it like Kwame Ture. You know, if you're not on the, on the bandwagon of liberation, off with your head, on to the next. And it was this program, listening to this program, listening to people like Dr. Welsing and others, just, and Dr. Um, and Neely Fuller Jr. and others, really helped to shift my consciousness away from that cut-and-dry, black-and-white, um, you know, anti-black uh, potentiality in the way that I was functioning in my counter-racist code. So I just have to just really say thank you a million for that, and thank you for this program. I'll meet my line. Grand, grand. Uh, other folks have commentary, or folks certainly, if anyone wants to share how they have codified to deal with anti-blackness in the workplace uh, from black co-workers or unfortunately sometimes it might even be a black manager or supervisor as they say uh, who codified how to deal with that that's fine as well i did want to share even though i'm going to share this on the compensatory call this weekend since we've had so much conversation about virginia and workplace racism and uh that is my former stomping ground uh and we even had a little football dialogue uh, football legend Bruce Smith, uh, he was on those Buffalo Bills teams that went to four straight Super Bowls in the 90s. Uh, he uh, went to Virginia Tech. Uh, he's retired now and is, you know, his life as a typical civilian, Negro. Uh, he has brought up racism as an issue in the Virginia Beach area. And the, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, uh, in a letter sent to Virginia Beach Mayor William Sessoms, suspected racist, businessman and former NFL football player Bruce Smith accuses the city of refusing his development proposals possibly because of white supremacy. They say because of his race, but you know. Smith, a commercial real estate developer, says in the letter that his proposals have been shot down by the city on several occasions. He thinks a lot of it has to do with race. All in quotes, despite my unflagging efforts and the inherent merits of these projects that would generate thousands of jobs and revenue for the city. I have been met with unwarranted opposition and refusals. The letter says I would ponder the possibility. I am being unfairly marginalized and excluded on the basis of race. Unfor- in my view, it should just be I'm being I am a victim of racism. I suspect they are practicing racism, something to that effect. Smith goes on in the letter and charges the city with having a racist culture that excludes minority projects at the oceanfront, all in quotes. It is certainly not unfounded that I would ponder the possibility that I am being unfairly marginalized and excluded on the basis of race. I am left to question whether we are still operating under the implicit mandate of the Old South, which would require that economic empowerment and enfranchisement be reserved for whites only. The letter is dated November 18th, 2016. Again, we'll have more to say about this on the compensatory call this weekend. But this is for sure workplace racism. And I also think this is the type of thing that I think people greatly minimize 
when we talk about black business and why there are no black businesses and black people aren't about, you know, going about trying to make money or investing their money. This is a black male who has a few nickels and is trying to invest and trying to make jobs. He's being stymied, he says, directly because he thinks it's racism, white supremacy. Uh, There was a report also uh, from this week, uh, June Pridmore. This is a white woman. She got in trouble. She allegedly was uh, is no longer working. She allegedly lost her job. I suspect she will be rehired immediately. But she allegedly lost her job because in Alabama she was making social media posts, uh, racist social media posts about President Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama, praising Donald Trump, and just, I'm so glad these Negroes will be out of the White House, basically. Um, she was terminated. The thing that I thought was most significant about this incident, this white woman, June Pridmore, she was the senior vice president of loan operations at the bank in Alabama. That's the type of thing that I think gets minimized in terms of, well, why don't black people have more businesses or why don't they pursue businesses? There is a massive racist conglomerate that is conspiring in all these different types of ways to make sure that black people do not build in uh, businesses and enterprises and things of that nature. And if we did, they would be actively working to sabotage them as they have before. But just wanted to make sure I got that in as well. Anything else folks want to make sure they get in before we uh, wrap up additional comments, questions. Oh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, just real quick. Um, what you just said, I'm in the loan business. That is, that is 99,000% accurate. Um, the other thing is that Mr. Foley said something, um, something that uh, I've been dealing with, but he said everything that you desire is drenched in white supremacy. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, and I've had to back up on some of my anti-blackness because one thing that I noticed specifically in the business that I'm in is that you have – a lot of individuals, even in this area, and I think the other caller uh, from Virginia would agree with this, you have a lot of people in the DMV area that make high, above-average incomes, and um, a lot of times they don't really, I don't even want to, I think less confusing, they have to, it's almost like a survival technique, and I think, Gus, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, they don't want to talk about white supremacy because if they don't, if they do, they are actually liable to lose a couple nickels. And I'll use this example. There's a there's a family that I did a loan for uh, a couple of years ago. They live in the Loudoun County area, very high dollar area. If anybody's ever seen the movie The Stepford Wives, um, that's literally how it looks in that Ashburn, Virginia area. And Donald Trump made a comment about, you know, black people, your your neighborhoods are terrible. And this black female who years ago I would have called bougie got on Facebook and Twitter and uh, was like, well, you know, hey, you know, I go out for Starbucks in the morning and, you know, we shop at Nordstrom's and, you know, we do this and, you know, we're not all uh, from these ghetto neighborhoods. And that really upsets me simply because of the fact that the majority of non-white people that I know, we all have origins from poor neighborhoods. That's just a fact. And, but, Instead of me lashing out at her because of people like Gus and like Ross said, because of Mr. Fuller, specifically Dr. Welsing, just being patient, she's also a victim. And Mr. Fuller saying that everything you desire is dreamt in white supremacy, all those expensive bags, all those expensive homes, 
everything, the only reason why you want it is because white people have it. It's not because it's constructive. It's not because it's productive. It's not because it's nice. It's because it's white. And every time people make comments or even how they behave, I always have to remember that. So I think what Ross said is 100% accurate, is that without this show, I would have probably been saying, oh, look at these bougie black, blah, 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 stuff I used to always say. Now I'm just more, much, much more patient. And that's something I have to watch with, specifically with people that make high incomes. Sometimes they do not want to speak on racism, and I understand why, because it's a survival technique. Can that be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you, Gus. Um, I have to piggyback off of that. Uh, just a brilliant um, addition to the conversation. And um, I think for me, what I've tried to be mindful of, because I used to hear Dr. Ben say this quite regularly, that even the greatest of our African warriors are tainted, including himself, by the system of white supremacy. We um, you know, we have been abused so successfully and so thoroughly for so long that a lot of times we, we just function reactionarily on autopilot without understanding that all of our decisions are dictated by our position in the context of white supremacy. And what I find is I try to be as mindful as possible about my thoughts and decisions. And I try to ask myself, is this actually a decision that's coming from the essence of my African self, or is this something that is being dictated to me by the system of white supremacy? That's something that I try to be mindful about with my decision-making processes, because it's very easy to just, you know, just go with whatever comes to you. The first thing that comes, you know, you just roll with it, because that's what white people do when they terrorize us. The first idea, if it's going to be to rape you, they're going to go with it. If it's to rape your child, they're going to go with it. If it's just to, you know, get in your space and violate your space, they'll go with that, whatever it is. And we function like they function because we have been brutalized by them for so long that for a lot of us, we can't imagine a time in which they were not in control. And the idea is that um, when you question yourself about, you know, things before you make the decision and you question yourself thoroughly enough about what the motivating factor is for that decision, um, you can start to slowly, successfully weed out those ideas that are being dictated to you from the system of white supremacy versus those things that are coming from your African self that is telling you, or even though you're from your ancestors, that might be telling you something that you need to know in order to move forward in a way that's um, optimum to your survival, as well as um, something that might lead you away from a potentially dangerous situation or scenario. Um, thank you, and I'll meet my line. Think it, I know sometimes it can be difficult uh, putting that in practice on the job uh, if it's other victims of racism, other black people that are getting on your nerves in your employment situation, which I know some folks uh, have dealt with before. So I think it's, you know, it's just good to kind of be honest with that up front that you don't have, you know, homies, brothers, sisters, partners on the job uh, that, you know, you're behind enemy lines and, and just the reality, the logic of it, uh, racists, they can inflict a lot of harm and pressure on black people really at any time, but particularly in the workplace uh, through a variety of means. Everybody wants to, you know, make sure they can get their little piece of cornbread. So, you know, you just keep that in mind uh, when you're in the workplace situation. And I think equally important, if not more so, who is in charge 
in the system of white supremacy and no non-white person, the few little days that President Obama has left, even over the past eight years, he is not in charge. White folks, they are still running things worldwide. Very important to keep that in mind on the job, even if you have a black supervisor or eight of them. Anything else folks need to get in before uh, we're all done? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. So he mentioned um, President Obama. I think, you know, and his job is being president right now. Two things that I kind of saw that, I mean, his entire presidency has been him suffering and enduring racism. But, like, today I read that he pardoned some turkeys. And then the other day that he gave, like, Freedom Awards or something like that to, I know one, to Ellen DeGeneres, and I just, I think that that's tragic, both of them, that this is what he's doing in his final weeks as the President of the United States. And I think black people are just making a mockery of him and his presidency and everything. Um, And then uh, I'll be leaving my job soon. and I've already, like, I've, I haven't codified it yet. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, and I, but I do know what I'm not going to say, <laughs> which is where I'm going or what I'm doing. But I haven't codified all of my answers to folks' questions, like, well, why won't you stay and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do know that I won't be revealing any information, even to the people that think they know me, um, or even the people that even have, like, my cell phone number or anything like that, they will not know where I'm going and what I'm doing. Um, I'll let you all know when I codify my responses, and I'll run it past you in about a week or two. Um, so I'll have to put in my two weeks soon. But um, I'm very clear that no one will have any specific information about what I'm doing. Awesome. I'm a big I'm a big proponent of that as well. We've had other people where they were transitioning, going to a new job, and same type of thing. Uh, Forbes had an article on that too. Not that I'm uh, advocating their site or anything, but they had an interview on that too that I thought gave great information. Where it was just saying, you know, hey, treat that exit interview as though. Uh, that also uh, is not, you know, personal information where you're going in and you're just talking to your buddy and you all are going to have a touching, intimate moment about things. Not at all that that could be used against you or kept in your personnel file or same thing that we said before about the survey. So that's uh, that's been my consistent response or thought about that. Um, I had said I was going to read the uh, report person text in texted in as we have been discussing, even though I'm not for sure, for sure, that this relates directly to workplace racism. Uh, but they wrote, I went to visit my brother whose wife is a white female. Uh-oh. <laughs> that combination for the day. Um, lost my Okay. And, of course, the topic of racism came up because of the Trump election. So we start started to talk about what would be an appropriate age to inform their child about racism. So she started talking about, I don't know, I don't want him to start looking at people because of their skin color. So she wants, so she wants him reading and writing first. Additionally, I, additionally, she went through the usual ritual of words such as discrimination, diversity, 
So I asked her if she could provide a definition of racism, and she couldn't. So as the conversation became more engaging, she broke down and started to cry and left their premises ranting at us how what ranting at us uh, about how what he doesn't understand, what he doesn't do and how dare he talk about racism. Furthermore, all my brother stated to her, which he informed me that earlier is that man, which he informed me that earlier in the day was he wishes their son could have more black children to play with because he thought that was important. Still learning. I think I got the, the gist of it. Um, we could, I guess people are texting and, and what have you. If it's things to share for the program, uh, make sure we maybe give it a once over to make it easier. But uh, from what I understood, that is, uh, wow. Weeping white women? I've said that before. It sounds like the the white woman, when the topic of racism came up, definition of racism, shut things down, which it generally, I would say, almost always does. Uh, And then when she got really uncomfortable, the weeping, the recrimination, and she left the premises, which also happens when you start being honest and just asking, you know, simple, logical questions, following the logic. And you can see that's why I've stated consistently as well. One of the other uh, unfortunate, it's, it's collateral damage, collateral terrorism from these tragic arrangements is that you have another racist who gets not just contact with the individual that they are sexually exploiting, but their family and the other non-white people uh, that they come in contact with. So now the whole house is subjected to this race soldier uh, for their turkey day uh, and her outburst of tears. And I, I am sure somebody had to side with her and, you know, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Where is she going? You brutes, you savage. I mean, that's how we have been groomed to behave, uh, to look out for white people. That's, you know, part of our victimization. But that is a fascinating incident. Uh, tragic arrangement. Tragic arrangement. Uh, I will assume uh, folks are good unless it's something you can get in in like 30 seconds before we wrap. I guess folks are grand. We will be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Lothrop Stoddard. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it, uh, anybody have anything they want to get in that last five seconds? Grand, we were good. Just making sure I didn't miss that. All right, so we'll be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Lothrop Stoddard, study session number five. Uh, I think we only have a couple sessions left, and we will be done, I think, probably max three or so, uh, but we'll see. But that'll be tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll be here Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, the compensatory call-in. Uh, we will catch up on everything that has gone down this week. Uh, interesting planta- interesting week on the plantation. Uh, we will review and share observations. Uh, we'll be here on Monday. Dr. Martin Kevorkian, we had uh, one of our investors, she mentioned Black Mirror way, way back a while ago. And she mentioned Nosedive specifically, which is the episode where this white woman, uh, she social media, everything is connected to social media. So you can lose your job. If your social media status goes down too far, you can lose your housing. Uh, you can get banking perks and all kinds of goodies based on your social media status or things can be very bad. If it's, if your social media status is not up to par and this white woman loses her status primarily because of black people, almost exclusively because of black people, uh, going on social media and, you know, giving her bad ratings, basically. Uh, this is in the series Black Mirror. Uh, this series started on Channel 4, which is a UK television network. 
and then it was picked up by Netflix in season three. That's where they are now. Season four is about to come out in uh, a couple of months. It's coming out in 2017. Uh, but it's sci-fi, and it's specifically sci-fi about technology and how uh, all of the technology that we have, uh, the smartphones and social media and computers and all the gadgets and things, um, how that could create inter- interesting problems moving forward, unforeseen problems, uh, or how it could be used maliciously. Uh, this is interesting because that's kind of the theme of Dr. Kevorkian's book, that any sort of uh, stories that, are, that include robots or any sort of non-human entity, that all of these stories, films like uh, The Terminator or Avatar or The Matrix... Uh, aliens, any any of these types of stories uh, that at the core, they are about fears of non-white people, white genetic annihilation, essentially, of, of non-white people taking over uh, to end white supremacy. Uh, that's the thesis of Dr. Kevorkian's book. He'll be our guest for Monday. Uh, but he's been with us before. We discussed The Purge and uh, Pulp Fiction, a number of interesting films over the years. He's been here many times. He was just with us this summer to discuss The Purge. But he'll be here to discuss uh, Black Mirror. Fascinating series. Uh, fascinating. And, and it'll be interesting because I think this is the first time that we've done like a film dissection of a foreign media product. So you'll see a lot of the same themes, even though this is not American cinema, but the racism, white supremacy is a global enterprise. So it's, you know, it's the same thing just with British accents. But that's Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. This series is short, like the entire season one is three episodes. The entire season two is three episodes, so it's not a major time investment. Most of the episodes are an hour or less, so it's not a huge chunk of uh, investment. Reading would be better, but if you want to check out a few nosedive, that episode might be one that you want to check out. If I had to pick out one more, I would say season two, episode one. It's about... I can't even, some of these episodes are so, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre because it's sci-fi. So some of the episodes, they're so bizarre. You don't even realize what you have watched until you get to the very end. Uh, you know, just to kind of piece together what you have seen. This episode, the one that I was going to recommend is an episode like that, but it's difficult to even explain it. I, the closest I can even come is there's a non-white female who has amnesia. She doesn't know what has happened and she's just being kind of led around by white people. Do this, do that. Don't do this. Go here, go there. People are shooting at her. She has no idea what's happening. Totally confused. Total amnesia. She doesn't know who she is, her birthday, nothing. Totally confused. And whites are just leading her around and trying to explain things. And it just goes from there. This particular episode, it's season two, episode two. It is, it's called white bear. That was anything with white in it. My attention immediately goes up. It's called White Bear, Season 2, Episode 2. Non-white female, amnesia. She doesn't know what's happening. She wakes up. and I can't even explain. That's, that's about as much as I could give you because it's such a complicated episode. It's one of those episodes where uh, the, 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 the show ends, right, technically, as the credits are rolling. They, inter- they splice in additional segments of video. So it'll be a few credits and then it'll go back and show more show. So as the credits are going, you are still grasping, you know, the totality of what you've just seen where you now understand everything. It's incredible. And racism, white supremacy is at the core of this episode, I submit. And it's, it's the whole series for, um, to pick 
uh, this was not an accident to pick some bizarre, nutty, foreign television series that I do think is going to be very popular because uh, Netflix, Netflix has picked it up so more people in the U.S. are watching it. I think it's going to be very popular. I did not just pick this to, you know, be lazy and watch TV. This whole series, I think, at its core is addressing racism, white supremacy. Brexit did happen over in the U.K. I think they have a lot of similar concerns. It will be very interesting this Monday evening. Dr. Martin Kevorkian back with us. Admitted white supremacist Dr. Martin Kevorkian back with us to discuss Black Mirror. You have time to check out a few. The first episode, if you need any inclination, I know Cynical African with just the first episode of Love. The the first episode in this series... A white man is forced to rape a pig on national television. That's the first episode of the series. That in in TV language, that would be the pilot, right? Based on this episode, we want more shows of this nature. That was their kickoff episode. Yeah, I'd like to have a show where a man rapes a pig on national TV and everyone watches. That is the white pathology that we are up against. Uh, With that... We will conclude. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope uh, you had a a safe, constructive uh, Thursday with no conflict. Uh, Hopefully you had great time if you were with other black people, family members, people that you care about. I hope you had a phenomenal experience. I hope you got to share constructive information, even if you didn't directly address racism, white supremacy. Uh, If you were just able to share constructive uh, information and just have a good time, uh, good energy, kind of restore your spirits, uh, that is grand. Uh, outstanding and uh, hopefully it'll continue no shopping i hope nobody's participating in black friday dr cambon would be very disappointed no jumbo tvs no new iphones or smartphones or any of the other nonsense leave all of that stuff there we have major problems let's make sure that our economics our spending reflects that we are attempting counter-racism and we're not going to fork over our nickels unnecessarily to our white enemies right on again we'll be here tomorrow work uh not workplace racism lothrop stoddard the rising tide of color against white world supremacy 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific thanks again to everyone who participated we'll do it again next thursday for workplace racism sobriety would be best i get to say it twice today sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy they will have a lot of uh checkpoints out so you definitely do not want to be under the influence behind the wheel this weekend. I would say this should ride all the way through Monday at least. Uh, you do not want to do that. They're going to be looking to stop non-white people. Uh, those checkpoints and things tend to be in areas where you have higher concentrations of dark people. So just keep that in mind and share that with your relatives to make sure, hey, if we've had some drinks, well, let's just all stay here. I think we can tolerate you know, one another's company for one evening. And then we can all go our merry way tomorrow when we are sober so that we don't make any unnecessary problems for ourselves. And again, you do not want to be under the influence when you get pulled over by Daniel Holtzclaw, excuse me, Darren Wilson, Daniel Holtzclaw, any of these other race soldiers. Whites are dangerous, badge or no. Whites are dangerous. It can be a life ending, life changing situation in seconds. Anytime you're in contact with a white person, I don't think being under the influence of anything, cigarette, alcohol, cannabis, whatever else, I don't think that's going to improve your odds in that situation. I could be in error. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with 
other black people victims of white supremacy, we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.